1: Oh, there we go. yeah. Right, okay. This is the Hagman and the Hagman Report for today. I want to thank everyone for joining us, for your belief and your trust in us. You know, we broadcast live every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Thank, thank you so much, Todd, for all that you do. Um, and thank you, Global Star Radio Network, for, for carrying our, our show, uh, for taking the flack, taking the heat, uh, all of the uh, technical nuances that they've got to put up with. My goodness, what a great guy. What a great, uh, what a great station to be affiliated with and what a great network to be affiliated with. Very proud to be a part of the Global Star Radio Network that also hosts Health Masters, uh, Ted Brower, Ted and Austin Brower show and other programs, including Dave Hodges. But I'm going to mention something specific, folks, after our show tonight. I would ask everyone to continue listening to the Global Star Radio Network. You've got to hear Health Masters. Show, or you, or Ted, uh, Ted and Austin Brewer show tonight. You, re- ladies and gentlemen, do you remember that? Um, the, do you recall the show about the blood of Jesus? Right? Do you remember that show that we did? Well, it was, I think it was maybe a two hour show. Or it was, it, Ted had dedicated perhaps two hours. Maybe an hour and a half to the blood of Jesus and the power of the blood, the power in the blood, the DNA, the, uh, the technology that proved the Bible. I mean, it, I shouldn't say it proved. It, the science and the Bible are compatible, but Ted went in to explain about the blood of, of Jesus. Now, if you heard that, that program, he ha- he's doing, he he, he spent, and I, I spoke to Ted Brewer today. He spent quite a long time refining that program, taking out any extraneous material, honing in on the very important precise parts of that, of that episode that we did together. It was one of, the, I mean, it, it millions of, do- of downloads on that show alone. Following our broadcast tonight, Ted Brower is going to play the version, recorded version, after our show. Or Global Star is that is so. If you if you stay with with Global Star, you'll hear that show, the hour refined product. After after our show, I listen to it. It's perhaps one of the most important programs. I think Ted and Austin have ever done so there's a a absolute hat tip to to Ted and his son but also if you really want to get the full effect and full understanding of why the blood is so important which also gives you a window into why it's important for the spirit cooking bodily fluid blood uh, machinations of the Satanists So right after Hagman Report or after the Hagman Hagman Report, uh, just go to or may stay on Global Star Radio Network or go to HealthMasters.com, click on the link directly to the Global Star Radio Network link, and make sure you select tonight's episode. But it's very important. I I was speaking with Ted today about that, and don't forget, folks, the sales. I think it's Doug Five. The coupon code you can email uh, Dr. Ted Brower. You can email Health Masters. Make sure of the coupon code for the sales he's having for Christmas. Uh, the, the Health Masters supports the Hagman Report. It's a fanta- really it's a fantastic product. I will not purchase any nutri- uh, uh, nutritional supplements. Anywhere except Health Masters. That's just my personal preference, because I've seen the difference between the products, and I can feel the difference between the products. Now, and I don't care. I don't care who sells what, when, where, out there in the market. I have, uh, and I've taken, uh, I've taken so many different kinds of supplements. These are the only ones I believe that work, and that's my, from my experience. And folks, of course, you know we're simulcasting blog talk radio PTR and you can watch us live right here on YouTube. Now we had a little bit of a kerfuffle right before the program. We have tonight, uh, of course, uh, Tara. You've, you, uh, Tara from the UK is going to be on with us at the bottom of the hour. She, of course, is, uh, behind realitycalls.co. That's realitycalls.co. You know her videos widely spread across YouTube. She was, of course, was the victim of uh, YouTube censorship of late. Got a strike for for reporting on Pizzagate, and this is happening more and more and more. We are being censored. And then following that, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. Now listen to this. Dr. Pry served as the professional staff on the House Armed Services Committee of the U.S. Congress. Portfolios in nuclear strategy, weapons of mass destruction, Russia, China, NATO, the Middle East, and so on. He was an intelligence officer with the CIA. He's responsible for analyzing Soviet and Russian nuclear st- strategy. This guy's an, this guy has written numerous books on national security issues. He's been on all the major television networks. Um, he's got, as a matter of fact, he's got a certificate. I've got it right here, and uh, you don't have to really. See this, but here is a certificate from the CIA that uh, not only provides or substantiates his bona fides, but also it's a it's a recognition certificate for his work in like EMP EMP work. So that's that's the kind of lineup we have for you today. Just understand that um, we're bringing you, I think, through the efforts of John Robertson. And I want to thank you, John, and others in supportive capacity. We're bringing you the best of the best of the best to give you the information that you need to know. And um, nothing about nothing like fake news. No fake news out here, or at least not with us. And I really appreciate the efforts of John Robertson. I appreciate the efforts of J.D. and all the, staff, the support staff, and certainly Eric the Tech, who uh, last I saw he was uh, – running from the studio screaming and yanking portions of his hair out and uh, uh, sputtering expletives as he was leaving. We had to hide the weapons. It was that bad. Long story. Portions of the Nice Broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks. OmahaSteaks.com Search bar HH Folks, it's getting time. Uh, if you haven't ordered your Family value or your, your family pack from Omaha Steaks, do so. They've got such a great product and such great That's a great value, com, especially for the Hagman and Hagman Report. They, uh, I asked them if they, if they could please give us, our listeners, a special package. They did go to com in the search bar, HH. More on that later. Um, Joe, it's, it's been a, it's been a day. Yeah, it has been a long day and i just mentioned
3: to eric earlier that today for me at least it's uh it's dragging uh a lot especially the second half of the day but the whole day's been long but it's uh we're here we're we're ready to go we got a great program lined up and um yeah we do it is friday you know and sometimes they things move a lot slower uh on friday you you think sometimes sometimes usually it's quicker but when it's not quicker, it's always slower instead of just, you know, at a normal pace. So, but slow is good sometimes. So you, you know, if I can share this with the audience, catch up on things that you haven't done and, uh, get time to look into things and, and do things that you, you didn't have a chance to do during
1: the rest of the week. So it's okay. You know, it's, it's, we have a weird, well, our, our job is weird. We love, we love what we do. Very much. Um, I was chewing a the mint there. And, uh, I was wondering. Yeah, I was I'm choking. I was choking on the mint, uh, so I swallowed it. And uh, but we we love what we do, and we do we we put everything into. I mean, we put our hearts and our souls into what we do. I believe we've got so much research that over the course of the past several weeks, we have we have boxes upon boxes of papers relating to Pizzagate. And I say boxes, I'm talking about the uh, uh hard copy captures of hard copy hard copies of video captures from Tumblr accounts, from uh, uh or uh, Twitter accounts, from Instagram accounts. The originals. Now I'm not talking about what was reposted, but the originals as they were cited by members of the citizens journalist citizen journalist community. So we've we've got those and we are putting together as best as we can, this cohesive and coherent um, investigative report that oh, I, I like to think that with all of the guests that we've had and all of the research that we've done collectively and vetting out or vetting the information for accuracy and then moving away from the speculative or the unconfirmed, but just taking all of the documentation and putting it together like we would as a presentation, as an investigative body, to present to a, to present to a, to a, to a police force or to even to a jury if we would get, go that step above, I, I think that you will see that the Pizzagate, which we don't like the name, no one likes the name, the, the pedo-gate is tied very closely to the FBI slash NYPD. Just to go over this again, this is to tell you why this is so critical. The, the, the pedophilia and the satanic ritual abuse is the driver. Joe, you know this. It's the, that mm-hmm. the satanic um, worship among the global elite and the power players in Washington is the driving motivation. It's not prayer to God of the Bible. It's prayer to Baal, Moloch, Lucifer. It is that prayer that is driving policy inside Washington and all throughout the Western cultures of government. Now, think about this. So you've got this group of globalists And that includes billionaires, businessmen, and women who are extremely wealthy and have the power and influence. Well, you've got, you've got this club. It's loosely knit, but it's nonetheless a club. Club, a cult, a religion. Yeah. You know, if you will. Yep. Um, Yep. And so they're all worshiping the God the small g-god, Lucifer, the devil, satanic, ritual, whatever. And this is nothing new because when you look back at what was uncovered even before Pizzagate
3: in the arena of politics and, and big business and the heads of state and, and businesses and the private industry here in the U.S. and across the globe, you have these uh, different you know skull and bones. You have the Bohemian Grove where they do mock uh, human sacrifice and, yes. and worship Moloch. Um, and, and you have these, um, you have a number. I mean, the, the Freemasonry. So you have these cults and they have religious innuendos and, um, satanic, uh, worship involved. And this is nothing new. This has been exposed for the last 15, 20 years, uh, more so in the last 10 years, uh, about what these people in power actually do. And then you, you know, we, we come up, uh, through the eight years of the Obama administration, uh, after Obama was elected a lot more people became aware to what was going on. Um, and then you have, you know, you have Bilderberg, the CFR, uh, the Trilateral Commission, these other groups of people of political power yep. who meet in, in its international organizations, and then you have, um, you know, like the Catholic Church and, and that whole uh, web of power in the Vatican and the influence they wield in the in the sphere of politics um, and all their history Dealing with uh, pedophilia and, and child sex trafficking rings, that's been well documented. And now you have some exposure. And this is one thing, you know, we talked about why is this fake news narrative um, and the censorship we see becoming so prevalent right now, um, right after the election ended, between, you know, the end of November uh, November 8th until today, about a month and a day. We've seen this just huge push. And I want to read um, something on the phrase fake news from a report from The Intercept today, because they sum this whole thing up really nicely in one paragraph. The phrase fake news has exploded in usage since the election, but the term is similar to other uh, political labels such as terrorism and hate speech, because the phrase lacks clear definition. It is essentially useless except as an instrument of propaganda and censorship. The most important fact to realize about this new term, those who most loudly denounce fake news are typically those most aggressively dim, uh, diminishing it. Or, I'm sorry, disseminating it. And then they go to cite different examples of, In um, this article is entitled, Fake News That MSNBC Personalities Spread to Discredit WikiLeaks Documents. And it's a long article. It's a good article. I know I'd urge people to read it, and they, they give examples of how the Democratic Party and the news media picked up on a, a Hillary Clinton's supporter fake transcript of a Goldman Sachs speech and they used that to try to discredit the WikiLeaks information yep. claiming that it was uh, falsified and the emails were not really from Hillary Clinton but this all goes back to uh, and they expose this in the article how um, the the media outlets and the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign disseminated this fake news by saying you know, this was a uh, Part of the WikiLeaks emails, when it never was part of the WikiLeaks emails, this was an independent, uh, anonymous Twitter account user who was a an, a vehement supporter of Hillary Clinton, <coughs> called the Omnivore. That was his account, and posted a, a fake transcript supporting Hillary, uh, purporting to be Hillary Clinton's speech to Goldman Sachs, even though the fake document was never published by WikiLeaks, and that was the entire basis for the MSNBC-inspired claim that some of the WikiLeaks documents were doctored. So, uh, um, those, you know, th- this is a good example of, you know, these people running the fake news narrative. But one thing, I don't know if you saw this today, Dad. We didn't have a chance to talk about this. The New York Times ran a story today also. Foes of Russia say child pornography is planted to ruin them. It, and it, this gives an example some of cases, somebody's.
1: There could very well be that that could be the case. But go on. Yeah. And, uh, we know
3: that's happened in the past. Uh, you know, one image planted here. And we've seen that before. But what this article is doing it's um what they say that is russia is doing and they even say that this happened to the dnc is that the they say the russian you know propagandists and cybersecurity hackers came in and planted child pornography on in the in the article they use an example of this former russian um agent who came over here and fought the KGB and they said that this happened to him and they also say in this article that this happened to the uh, DNC and they say today however uh, this has become allied with more sophisticated tricks of cyber mischief making where Russia has proved its proudness in the Baltic states Georgia, Ukraine and according to American intelligence in the computers of the Democratic National Committee saying that Russian cyber warriors uh, serve a multitude of goals including espionage and disruption of critical, vital infrastructure, and they also say that they're trying to shape public opinion uh, through the spread of false information and by uh, committing cyber attacks, planting child pornography on foes or enemy computers. I think this is laying the groundwork for the plausible deniability and the of course excuse of why uh, this is there. Now, one thing I don't know if we'll ever see this in the in the media. Uh, in the mainstream media, but it's one thing to have you know. This example gives, and you have to read the article. Goes on to talk about a former Russian uh, defector who fought the KGB, who fought Putin, right? And is a tireless opponent of Soviet the Soviet Union. And they say that he says that all one day the door knocked and. Cops busted in, took his computers, and they charged him, they said there were five pictures on his computer, which um, he was sick apparently and had some kind of heart condition and it couldn't have been him. So they're saying this was Russia. Cyber hackers came in and planted this because he was an enemy of Russia. But one thing would be interesting to see, I mean, because uh, the, they're trying to claim that the Democratic National Committee was a victim of this, is how much and, and how far widespread computers were infiltrated but I don't
1: think we'll ever get to the truth of that it m- important the, well I just want to say the more I get involved in the investigation of um, the DNC Elizabeth Warren the, the people within the DNC Keith Ellison who could very well take take over the DNC there's some of him too yeah I just want to say that the more I look into this the more I realize what a communist infiltrated uh, group this is and what a perverse group this is. Go ahead with your what you're going to say.
3: Um, if this is them trying to lay the groundwork for a defense or an excuse um, to charges of child pornography on their computers, I just don't know that it would be one or one to five images that no, is on these not. DNC computers. I bet it's a lot more
1: extensive than that. But well, that's when
3: I don't think we'll we ever worked,
1: get to the we were the, the, the child track of the matter porn case in uh, upstate New York. I'm talking about. Those <laughs> familiar with, uh, with the Adirondacks, uh, east of Watertown, New York, up there, and the Canadian border, we worked a child pornography case up there, or a case that, we stumbled upon this child porn ring, and this one guy had, uh, 11,000, uh, images on his computer. You're not gonna find one or two. And every single part of that ring, that child porn ring, the, in fact, the guy's still in jail for this, but every, every uh, and he was always, Trust me when I tell you he was really ooh, Yeah. Uh, he, he, he no, I am not winging it. Never mind. But, but this article goes yeah, on to say getting
3: someone labeled as a suspected pedophile has the added benefit of fitting perfectly with the Kremlin's lie that human rights activists are all just degenerates. Um but this article speaks a lot further to what we see here, uh trying to create deniability as to why this would be found on Democratic National Committee or others' computers by laying down this lie that all Russian hackers did it. And one thing we saw today was Obama took steps, some interesting steps, and and it'll be... We have to keep our eyes open to see where this goes. Obama orders review
1: into Russian hacking of 2016 election. Told you, told you, told you, told you this is all about delegitimizing the uh, the election and the the and presidency of, of, of Trump. And they, they try to sugarcoat over, um, this by saying, well, you know, they're
3: going to go back to before 2008 and create a comprehensive report of how Russia affected the elections, uh, in 2008, in 2012, and 2016. But it's obvious they're just looking at 2016. But the president has directed the intelligence community to conduct a full review of what happened during the 2016 election process. It is to capture lessons learned from that and to report to a range of stakeholders. That uh, was from a statement released by the White House Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor Lisa Monaco uh, to the Christian Science Monitor, and then they go on to say, this is consistent with the work that we did over the summer to engage Congress on the threats that we were seeing. Uh, White House spokesman Eric Schultz added later that the review would encompass malicious cyber activity related to U.S. elections going back to 2008. And the administration uh Monaco said the administration would be mindful of the consequences of revealing the results of their review publicly. And Schultz said that they would make it public as much as we can. All of the Democratic senators on the Senate Intelligence Committee have called Obama to declassify intelligence on Russian
1: actions during the election. They want a war. They, 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 they are they're fixing the what they want to do again is delegitimize the the uh, win, the victory of Donald Trump. Say that the elections were were rigged via the Russian influence mm-hmm. and uh, the fake news, the fake uh, I mean, news. That's right. Which and all of this comes together is coming together right now. If, ladies and gentlemen, we have in the past talked about the imminence. Of something happening, whether it be one or a number of things, any number of things. Right now, I do believe that what we're seeing is a culmination of of the groundwork is being laid for some sort of event or series of events that will change how we operate in our daily lives. Yeah, and what a headache
3: this all is. Trump even made a statement today. We have exposed the credibility of the press. President-elect Trump credited his supporters with revealing the dishonesty of the media Friday um, at the Dow Chemical Hangar in Baton Rouge. The one thing we have done, we have exposed the credibility of the press, Trump said, they have the lowest credibility of anybody, he added. And this is um, not anything secret. We've known uh, how Trump's felt about the media due to their bias against him during this last last election cycle. And uh, this article says that Trump's attack on the media have intensified in the days since his upset victory stunned uh, most members of the political press corps. And have created a sense of mutual distrust between the president and elect and many of his left leaning reporters that cover him. And this, um, well, you should know, be interesting to see yeah. because, you know, we have that intelligence authorization act that in yep. it talks about the labeling the propaganda or lab- labeling news sites or alternative news sites as Russian propaganda has made it through the House. And uh, Dave Hodges talked about this last night. I think yes, it it's is. 6393, HR 6393. And apparently the Senate has passed passed it through, too. I have not seen that vote. I've just seen talk about that. But um, in the next segment, and we're coming up against a break, we're going to be digging deeper into this uh, Pizzagate. And one thing that they're doing with all this fake news stories, trying to distract from the influence that the the one uh, the real corruption that was the Clinton campaign and the media co- uh, coordination and the crimes of both the Clinton and this the book
1: Obama Joe this book and folks mm-hmm. well, look I don't I we don't sell books here except mine but this book here Guilty as Sin by Edward Klein if you have not read this it's a quick read in my view I mean I got this. Monday or Tuesday, and I, 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 I'm done with it, uh, this this tells you about everything Joe was talking about. This is an unbelievable read. Uh, Ed Klein does a great job. Yeah, Ed and he does you know, Hannity and a number of other yeah. shows.
3: And I don't know, Dad, if you heard this, um, the Clinton campaign called MSNBC and wanted Mika Brzezinski pulled off the air when she said that Hillary was, uh, it's possible she could lose. And uh, she talked about that today on her show, The Morning Joe. I can't think of anybody better, just a Mika Brzezinski, right? And there's a YouTube video that explains what happens. Lori Kluzidis. When we come back from the break, Tara from Reality Calls. .co. Uh, and yep. she's in London. will be joining us to talk about Pizzagate for the next segment. Stay with us. <laughs>
1: Doing. turn my own mic off welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the Hagman and the Hagman Report where it's early here and it's late or early in the morning in London United Kingdom we are so delighted to have with us one of seriously one of uh, a young lady that I've I've been, we've been watching, um, mm-hmm. her videos are just incredible. If, if you're familiar with realitycalls.co, well, this Tara is behind realitycalls.co and, um, uh, she's done some amazing work on uncovering the nuances of, of Pizzagate, what's known as Pizzagate. We have live via Skype. Just imagine 20 years ago, no one, imagine doing it this way uh via skype uh video tara from RealityCalls.co. we're so just pleased and excited to have her and introduce her to our audience you know you know tara you know her work anyway uh, at any rate i'm going to shut up now but tara welcome to the hagman and hagman report it's so great to have you
2: thank you for having me on um i'm really glad you guys have been covering this topic extensively because it's so important and of course um the mainstream media won't do this, so someone's got to.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Tara, how did you get into this, uh, covering Pizzagate specifically? What what prompted you to to, to get into this line of investigative inquiry? Yes,
2: yeah, so uh, for the whole of 2016 and even before that, 2015, I've been aware of Hillary Clinton running for president, and um, I just... It's sort is a disaster waiting to happen. You know, she wants to start World War Three. Basically, it appears. Um, so I really tried my best to help Trump get elected. And uh, one of the things that I was doing was I was um, just independently going through all the wiki, you know, all the WikiLeaks emails I could get through every time they came out, and they were coming out like by the tens of thousands, you know, <laughs> every other day or whatever leading up to the um, election. So. When I started seeing um certain very odd emails, um I started, you know, tweeting about them and and also looking at other people's tweets uh regarding like we we did like hashtag Podesta emails and um yeah, this these strange emails started coming up. Of course we were all looking for dirt on the Clinton Foundation. We were looking for this kind of normal type of corruption and money laundering and all that kind of stuff. Um and what we were finding was just these weird, cryptic emails uh, that we didn't quite understand. So we put it on the back burner. Um, and then, of course, we came across the email from Marina Abramovich. And having done some research into her, it became evident that she's basically what most of us would consider to be a satanic witch, and that uh, Hillary's head of campaign was going to dinner with her, uh, spirit cooking dinner. a spirit-cooking dinner, which and if people don't know already spirit cooking is basically um satanic ritual so it all went downhill from that and uh i just started publishing um i said to my friend black pigeon speaks i said like we have to get the stuff about spirit cooking out because no christian is going to vote for this woman if they know like what her head of campaign is up to
1: exactly Exactly right
2: (laughs) yeah so uh so like I just really quickly put together this video and he put it on his channel and I reposted it to my channel because he had a lot bigger channel than I did. So we just wanted to get it out there as fast as possible. And, uh, it, you know, it got, um, over a hundred thousand views and, and a, a lot of people were like, okay, not voting for <laughs> so That was somewhat of a success. And, uh, but then of course we started, we started seeing, oh, wait a minute, Satanism, uh, and then these code words. Um, people from the dark web are telling us that this is basically the same type of um, code that paedophiles use to talk about children um, so then it became more and more disturbing and you know a couple of people theorized maybe this is about drugs you know um, but we couldn't quite find a, a code that would fit with that so the only thing that would really fit was child trafficking um, and there were quite a few other emails that weren't even coded, just blatant, like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. these children will be in the pool for your entertainment, uh, which really disturbed a lot of people. And when I shared those emails with people who didn't even know about the topic, you know, they were just, um, they were really just uh, kind of like innately disturbed about the topic, even though they didn't know the context. So I knew that we were onto something, and I just started publishing the evidence because I was like, no one is not not most of the public are not going to go through all these forums and you know dig up all the evidence and look through it for themselves. So I've got to present it to people in a way that they can easily watch and understand. So I just started making like 10, 20 minute videos, um, and they've had hundreds of thousands of views, and um, and now. What's happened is that YouTube has given me a strike against one of the videos, which was um, just going through James Alephantis' Instagram account.
1: Yes, uh, need- his public. Yeah, I'm sorry, Terry. We really need to uh, to focus in on this because I certainly don't want to see you, your investigative work, censored, nor yeah. our work. So go ahead and, and please and correct
3: us if we're wrong. But uh, didn't they
1: list? did they say that your your video was inciting
3: violence?
2: <laughs> it's crazy what they said. They actually said that I was I was acting in a predatory manner and harassing Wow. Yeah, and harassing um like I guess James Elephantis, who is the 49th most powerful man in Washington DC, according to GQ magazine, which makes him a public figure. Uh he he routinely visited Obama at the White House. Like he's on record visiting the White House five times. Um and all he, all he really has to his name is that he was the previous romantic partner to a guy who runs Media Matters for America, I believe. Uh, that's the name that's of right. that. And, David um, Brock. right. Right. And, and, but he owns this pizza shop where Obama held his fundraiser and Hillary held her fundraiser. And it's just all very strange. You know, it's like, why are all of these Democrats all going to hold their fundraisers in this tiny little grimy pizza shop? And why is this guy the 49th most uh, powerful man in Washington and therefore one of the most powerful men in the world um, when he has, like, nothing to his name. Mm-hmm. It, that's a great point.
3: Uh, you think about the number of uh, congressmen and senators and other uh, politicians from, you know, uh, and former politicians and members of Intelligence community. I mean, to be the 49th most powerful, I was thinking about this the other day, the 49th most powerful man in Washington, D.C., you have to be wielding some pretty heavy influence, um,
2: uh-huh. and this
3: guy is just a, a restaurant owner and and has some political connections. It does not make any sense whatsoever.
2: Yeah from from the from the no pedophile context, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if he is trafficking pedoph- sorry, trafficking children for elites, uh, then it suddenly makes a whole lot of sense. So you know, this is the theory. That we have, obviously it's, um, we don't have the authority, um, to really investigate this to the level that it needs to be investigated. And that's why we're simply trying to raise public awareness, um, to hopefully have some kind of proper investigation done by the FBI or by like, uh, the state police or whatever. Um, and that's all really. That's, that's all we want. We just want, um, people to recognize, like, this is going on, and that's why I was going through the images from his, um, Instagram account, and, you know, it's things like, um, it's constant references to sexual imagery and children, yes, basically. And when you put those two together, it really does not look good. Um, and, and that's all I was literally just doing, just, uh, Looking through each of the images one by one, and that is the video that YouTube just took right down. Uh, they don't want anyone to see it. And every time you see mainstream media reporting on how this is fake news and how we, it's all just made up hysteria, why won't they show any of these images? This is evidence taken directly from his own Instagram account, and they will not show it to the public.
1: Exactly right. And the absence of showing that evidence, you know, working as an investigator, uh, both of us, and I've been an investigator for the last three, 30 years, and it's always you lead off with images like that, um, unless you are trying to hide something, unless you are trying to bury the story, unless you are trying to uh, divert the attention. So that's a very interesting aspect indeed. Yeah, they claim uh, they, you know,
3: debunked, yeah. debunked the stories and they offer no proof. Or even, and that's one of the key indicators you said. Or even offer uh, the counter evidence or what's being alleged against these people, except mentioning that you know, Pizzagates some outlandish uh, conspiracy from you know the deep uh, parts of the web that uh, accuse uh, these people of being involved with children. They barely even mention that, but they always claim that they're debunking these stories when they when they put these articles out. But they never even really address the real issue. And I've seen that on the TV, from the late night talk shows to. Um, some of the lesser known mainstream media figures that are on in odd hours, they don't even, mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, it's so far away from the truth and, and, and any evidence. And like you said, they don't they don't even show the allegations of what people like you and others are saying. It's uh, very disturbing. And so you got a strike against your YouTube account. Yeah. Um, when was when amazing. was that?
2: Like, I think it was um, yesterday, I think. Sorry, it all kind of merges into one for me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, the last um, few days, yeah. Yeah, and uh the problem is that once I get three strikes, my entire channel gets taken down, I don't have a voice anymore. That's right. Um so and the thing is that I can't make any more videos about Pizza Gate now because if if I make two more videos and they both get strikes, which they probably will because they have entire teams of people um like flagging the videos and saying this is harassment, this is harassment, this is harassment. So then they're just like, Okay, it's harassment and the market is harassment. Um, and then I have to appeal, and then, and then someone higher up will take a look at it. But
1: see, we, yeah. we know, we know, Tara, we know the process as well because, uh, we're getting hit with the same thing, but it's from a different, actually from different, from a different area. Uh, it, ours is malicious. Those against us is malicious. But mm-hmm. aside from that, uh, well, not to say yours wasn't, but, uh, uh, but anyway. You, you, so you you I this I promise you you will always have a voice through Hagman report I guarantee you always have a voice no one will 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 be able to to uh, quiet you and that's our that's our promise to you um we only have a little bit of time I know again and I know you're going to be coming on with us at some point in the future uh, for a longer period but you did a couple of videos Joe Biden if you go to realitycalls.com uh, dot co folks subscribe to her channel, subscribe to Terra's channel. Uh, Joe Biden, his behavior with that young girl. Um, uh, Representative Nancy Schaefer, I believe it was, right? Nancy Schaefer, I'm not sure. Yeah, okay,
2: uh, oh. I think some people say it's cool. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, so okay, so uh, you've got, I mean, okay, I'm sorry, that's right, the death of the mysterious death of Senator Nancy Schaefer, and then of course, uh, uh, biden's weird behavior you've got a lot of different uh videos here um mm-hmm. well
2: yeah those are the ones i'm just keeping up uh that i feel i have the ability to keep up right now right um but i mean someone could just go flag those and they well, <laughs> uh, done anyway. <laughs> so.
3: you know one thing but, uh, you can try to do and and uh this might be a conversation for all fairs, but. Yeah, maybe. You know, create a, a few more channels that aren't monetized. Um, mm-hmm. and, and use just, just stay away from the term Pizzagate, maybe. Uh, I would go with Podesta Emails or something. And just put this information out there and see how long it sticks because it seems that they're targeting the monetized YouTube channels first.
2: My
3: channel is not even monetized. Oh, it's not?
2: Okay. No, yeah, that's but,
1: very telling then. Uh, yeah, I was looking at that.
2: But, yeah.
1: So, okay, um, where are you at right now with the – the, the uh, I, look, I believe 100% that, that this, what we're talking about, deals in child trafficking. And I'm sure, given your proximity to – well, given where you live, Jimmy Savile, you're familiar with that whole twisted stuff?
2: Yes, yes. It's uh, horrendous. Oh, my
1: uh, goodness.
2: basically the BBC, which is actually – Americans may not know this, but it's actually funded by taxpayers. So, we're forced to pay for the BBC, whether we like it or not, if you have a television in your house. Um, you're forced to pay them. So, it's basically a government propaganda machine. And, uh, oh. They covered up for decades, they covered up this man being a pedophile. This man, Jimmy Savile, he molested young girls on stage with the cameras on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and he got away with it. He, um, he made large donations to children's charities in order to buy him access to children's hospitals and he raped some of those... Well, you know, hundreds have come forward to say he raped them but it's probably thousands. You know.
1: It's it's amazing. And
2: Um, and the BBC repeatedly had people um, trying to report him and they just didn't do anything. Wow. They they said, no one wants to know. Police didn't want to investigate. So I, I just say this just to, um, for those people who think, oh, nothing like this could ever happen, it happens. It happens all over the world. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in Canada. Okay, 400 kids were just rescued from a child, uh, paedophile child trafficking ring in um, Toronto. Mm-hmm. 400 kids in Toronto. So, this happens, and unfortunately, like, a lot of us live in our own little bubbles and don't think that this kind of stuff happens, but it does. So.
1: Getting back to what you were saying earlier, how, how much of a role do you believe that the Clinton Foundation, if not Hillary Clinton herself and or Bill Clinton, played in what we see taking place today with respect to what is known as Pizzagate?
2: Uh, well... You know, um, Hillary Clinton funds a charity, Hillary, the Clinton Foundation, from what I can tell, being a complete, um, non-professional person to (laughs) this, from what I can tell, she, her, her Clinton Foundation has donated $10,000 to Marina Abramovich, and, uh, they also donate huge amounts of money to a charity located right opposite Comet Ping Pong, called Beyond Borders, um, and for some reason, it seems that Internationally, many of these people who are suspected pedophiles have connections to Haiti. Um, so, and Beyond Borders works directly with Haiti. So it, it all, it all looks very suspicious. Um, and, mm. and of course we know that Bill Clinton flew, uh, with, well, what's that guy's name? Jeffrey um, Epstein. Yeah. Which is, he's a known pedophile and child trafficker.
3: Mm-hmm. The um, express. Yep. 26 yeah. times, I believe, he, he flew on that.
1: Uh, and, so, and so did uh, uh, Hillary, Hillary, and so did Huma. I think six times. On, six
2: yeah, on so, you know, it's not unreasonable to believe, uh, Considering these people, they all um, are known, they all have friends and associates who are convicted pedophiles, do you have any friends or associates? Like, ask yourself: Do you have any friends or associates who are convicted pedophiles? Do you have multiple friends and associates who are convicted pedophiles? What, what kind of people do we? What kind of people do these people who are running our countries hang out with? Um, and of course, just look at the artwork. You know, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, Tony Podesta. You know, another one of the most powerful men in Washington D.C. and brother of John Podesta, head of Hillary's campaign. Um, dead kids artwork you know dead kids um, paintings photos yes. even a sculpture of a of what looks like the replica of a serial killer's victim so these people are obsessed with death they're obsessed with kids they um, they like making innuendos about uh, you know child buying children and selling children and children being big business and stuff like this. That's right. Um, it just, it's really hard to ignore. You know, once you start looking at the stuff, I mean, you have a choice. You can either completely turn around and say, hey, I don't believe this and I'm just not going to go there. Uh, or you keep looking and you can't stop. <laughs> yeah. Because it's very, very disturbing.
3: And one of the examples, uh, I want to make sure we mention in here is, um, Dennis Hastert, who was the speaker of the house, 51st speaker of the house from 1999 to 2007. And, um, he was, uh, a serial child molester. And this is yeah. just another example of, you know, the, the people in, um, the political, uh, positions of power and, yeah. you know, ties to, um, child abuse.
2: Yeah, apparently he was um, second in line to being president, you know. Um, so this is the level. This is how high it goes up. Uh, we've got people um, in Australia saying that the ex-prime minister molested them when they were children. We've got people in the UK. We have um, one of our previous prime ministers involved in a Peter Fell scam. So to think that, you know, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, uh, Hillary's head of campaign isn't involved, why not? Sure. You know, it looks like a pattern that's going on across the world.
1: Yeah.
3: And you yeah. talked about the, the artwork and pertaining to children. And One thing that caught my attention the same day that spirit cooking uh, was discovered was a artwork piece that Tony Podesta had in his campaign office for Hillary Clinton. Where it showed two men standing over a body with plates and, and forks in their hand. And they looked like they were, you know, going to be cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. cannibalism. And that ties in with spear cooking, um, too. And if we can get your opinion on this, the Pope's statements this week about, well, he talked about fake news, but he, in an interesting way, he used the term, uh, yeah, coprophilia,
1: mm-hmm. which is,
3: uh, it has to do with excrement. But this ties into the the sexual connotation. Yeah, I mean, this isn't that. Isn't that exactly what the spirit cooking is?
2: Firstly, I'd like to say I have a lot of uh, respect for Catholics. My dad's entire family is Catholic, and um, I don't mean any disrespect. But a lot of the things that the Pope has been saying recently, um, you know, we just can't take this. This is BS. And um, I know a lot of people. Uh, obviously take it to heart when someone says something like that because they idolize this man but um, you've got to listen to what he's saying and ask yourself is, is this truth because it doesn't sound like truth to me it sounds like someone who's working for the elites basically right. and that, that's very disturbing because a lot of people take everything he says you know every word that comes out of his mouth um, is gospel and
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, he—he's. I feel like he's misleading us, really. So, uh,
1: Tara, I—I want to make sure I get this question in before our time is up. How uh, you're doing such great work with respect to your investigative insight uh, offering insight into the uh, uh, the pedophilia and the the sickening stuff that's going on. How can our audience help you? How can we? help you? Because we all have to stick together, and and none none of us wants to see you silenced ever. Um, We want to see you continue on with your investigation, but how can we best help you? Is there anything we can do, uh, our audience, us, what what, what do you suggest? Firstly, um,
2: I know it's probably a bit cliche, but we all have bills to pay, so by By supporting us financially, for example, there's a website called Patreon, uh, where you can look up a lot of independent citizen researchers, not just me, but also people like David Seaman. I know he's on there. Um, And it basically uh, allows you to donate by month for some people or by video that they put out for other people. And what that means is that I'm not dependent on YouTube monetizing my videos and giving me ad revenue. Instead, I can go and post my videos on another platform. So I can go and post my videos on Vimeo or on minds.com and then just send you guys the link to where it's hosted and I still get paid regardless of what platform it's hosted on. You know, I could even host it on like my own server and I'd still get paid. So that's one way to make, um, for people who previously relied on YouTube income, like, as a, as a primary source of income, mm-hmm. they can actually become more independent and not be reliant on these liberal uh, media, <laughs> media sites that are basically owned by, like... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, like, owned by, like, George Soros. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to be able to move away from them, and that's, that's the number one step to being able to do that. Um, other than that, the next thing, like, besides, like, showering the Pizzagate Sharing, if you've come across good work on Pizzagate, share it. We that's need right. people to share it. We need eyes on it. And, uh, the last thing is start doing it yourself as well. Start publishing about it. Um, because the more about us there are out there, then the, um, the less risk we're all at.
1: Can you give us that
3: website again that you talked about? It's, the it's on her, it's on her website.
1: Okay. Pantheon, Pantheon, I believe it is.
2: Pa- Patreon, it's called, or yeah. Patreon,
1: yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, uh, okay. I threw you off, Yeah, you threw me off. Thank you.
3: <laughs> well, uh, we only have a, a, about a minute and a half left. And you're coming, uh, if I have it right here, you're coming back on the 29th of December. So we'll get a chance to to get into this uh, a lot more. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more information um, Yes, by that time as
1: well. Um, yeah, looking at the clock, I, I just want to make, make sure, uh, Tara, that uh, you had done some investigation on the death of Representative Nancy Schaefer. What did you find out about that? I, I wanted to kind of ask you about that, but I mm-hmm. don't, I'm not sure if we have... We only have about a minute and a half left, but um, in a nutshell... You
2: know, the number one thing that I found out um, that no one else has spoken about um, is that the man who worked for Nancy Schaefer to produce the documentary on uh, child protective services taking children away from healthy families so that they could basically sell them to pedophiles it bluntly, um, the documentary was never aired. I contacted the man who created the documentary and asked him why it wasn't aired, an and he refused to comment. Ooh. He had previously said that he was going to air it. He had previously promised that he was going to air it, and something made him change his mind.
1: Wow.
3: Okay, Th- you think that it's threatening? Something threatening, or
2: uh, absolutely? Uh, I, you know. This man was desperate to get this information out previously after Nancy's death, but suddenly everything went quiet. He doesn't want to talk about it. He's Honestly, he's quite rude to anyone who asks about it, so (laughs) something happened.
1: Wow. TedTara, realitycalls.co. We will be supporting you and we will be behind you. You will always have a voice here at Hagman Report. Can't wait till you come back with us. Have a great night's sleep. Uh, thank you for staying up so late. Keep up the good work. Yes, indeed.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: God bless you. What a great, what a great young lady. What a fantastic researcher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm lucky, Folks,
3: we need more people out there. Um, yeah, look at her doing investigative work, publishing their findings. She's whether, fantastic. Yeah, and this needs to be a coordinated effort among uh, regular everyday people. Otherwise, we're not going to get the information out there. When we come back, Dr. Vincent Pry will be our guest. Uh, yes. Talking about a number Vincent of Pry. things. Peter Vincent Pry. Stay with us.
1: Us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that was Tara earlier in the uh, the last segment from the uh, United Kingdom. Support her work. Go to realitycalls.co. That's realitycalls.co. Folks, definitely, we need everyone to support these independent investigators. We need this. We need the truth to come out. One of the uh, uh, when when John uh, John Robertson told me that uh, he was able to secure an interview with Dr. Peter Vincent Prye, I asked him if he was joking, if he was kidding me, because I've, I, I have a lot of respect for this man. Dr. Peter Vincent Pry is the executive director of the task force on national and homeland security and director of the U.S. nuclear strategy forum, both congressional advisory boards. Uh, he served on congressional EMP commission, the congressional strategic posture commission, the house armed services committee and the CIA. So here he is, uh, and, and folks, He's a, a tremendous author. This man is a just a walking, uh, walking encyclopedia. Listen to this man, and we are so grateful to have him on. So grateful that he's giving it a gift of time. This, the quality of the information from this gentleman, is will be, I mean, with, without equal. Joe, I'm going to kick it to you. You, you have to turn yeah. your microphone. On the, <laughs> One of the things that's interesting about this subject
3: for us. Um, when we were doing our investigative work, our prime investigative work, we uh, got the we were able to attend the EMP seminar one second after,
1: um, and this is a topic that we've been uh, Yeah, it was, for, it was for in Erie County, time. New York, and it yeah. was and in, in, in the the commissioner, all, all the brass from the uh, uh, the state were there, and we had the pleasure of meeting the man behind One Second After, and also the. Uh, uh... the people who were implementing or talking about the problems but this is ten years ago they were still talk- they're still talking about the problems mm-hmm. absolutely okay. or i don't know eight years ago but good. okay well let's let's bring on our guest uh,
3: yeah dr uh... dr peter ruthson peter welcome to the Hagman Hagman report
1: thank you
0: so much for having me
1: well it's our pleasure sir and, and we really appreciate your gift of time uh... with uh... uh... talking about uh... matters that are important to you uh... I, you don't really need any, any introduction uh, beyond what we said. Uh, your bona fides are beyond—I mean, they're stellar. Uh, Doctor Pry, what keeps you up at night? What is? What is? Uh, where do you want to start? Because you've got so much information, so much knowledge, and so much. Going to kind of give you as much latitude as you want, you need. Uh, where do you want to start?
0: Well, I—I un- I was told that your audience probably, many of them or most of them, already knows what an EMP is but for the benefit of of some who may not know i'd like to talk about that a little bit first uh... you know i've been a uh... uh, in the national security field uh... all my professional life and um... uh, you know studying nuclear weapons chemical biological weapons and uh, uh... you know various the nuclear war scenarios i mean that's what i did when i was at the cia uh, but the threat that has always worried me the most is EMP or electromagnetic pulse, because even now, even after since in the 2008, when the EMP commission delivered its reports to Congress and had hearings, you know, for even though there has been eight years of, uh, of unclassified information now on this, because much that had been... Be- before. Uh, you know, a lot of the public still doesn't know about it and thinks that it uh, doesn't know that EMP is real, thinks it's science fiction. But an electromagnetic pulse, you know, is basically a super energetic radio wave that can be caused by a nuclear weapon, a single nuclear weapon, even a primitive one, you know, detonated at high altitude over the United States above an altitude of 30 kilometers, say. And, you know, there's a lot of myths. People who think they're experts don't but realize that it, it can be any nuclear weapon. It doesn't have to be a high-yield nuclear weapon or a weapon of special design. You know, it could be a nuclear artillery shell if the terrorists got hold of that, or even a crude Hiroshima-type bomb if they could build something like that. And uh, you don't need a sophisticated missile. You know, a Scud missile can reach 30 kilometers high, which is the altitude you need to get to. You could do it with a meteorological balloon or a or a jet airplane doing a zoom climb could get that high and if you detonated it at high altitude of the united states you know you'd get this field this electromagnetic pulse which propagates at the speed of light and covers a vast area you know from the point of the explosion to the horizon you know so at 30 kilometers altitude you'd cover a circle that would go out to a radius of 600 kilometers and the damage area on the electric grid would go far beyond that so that if you for example had a nuclear artillery shell tied to a balloon and you lofted it 30 kilometers anywhere over the eastern coast of the United States it would basically take down the whole eastern grid for weeks or months maybe more than a year probably and uh, and that would be the end of our civilization you know because we can't survive without the electric grid for a year uh, uh the eastern grid generates 75% of our electricity and the congressional emp commission which i served estimated that if we had a one year blackout caused by emp but it could also be caused by cyber attacks or physical sabotage but emp is the one that worries me most uh you know we would lose up to 9 of 10 americans through starvation disease and societal collapse And the nuclear EMP attacks isn't the only thing to worry about in the EMP world. Mother Nature can do an EMP in the form of a geomagnetic superstorm. These happen about once a century. You know, the last superstorm was the 1859 Carrington event, which was a worldwide phenomenon. And now, uh, in 1859, you know, the world was a horse and buggy stage. They weren't an electronic civilization the way we are today. But the telegraph systems had been... Created all over the world by the uh, German and British and the French colonial empires that strung telegraph systems in India and China and Africa, and all over the world these these telegraph systems uh, failed. telegraph uh, shacks burned to the ground uh, the power lines exploded into flame, causing forest fires the transatlantic cable had just been laid for telegraphy in 1859 and the pulse from the sun was so powerful it reached down miles deep into the depths of the atlantic ocean and burned the cable out that had to be restrung if something like that happened today i mean it didn't end civilization in 1859 because electricity and the telegraph were basically still a novelty and not essential to their society But electricity is essential to our society we can't live without it anymore And if something like that happened today, you know, it would put at risk the lives of billions around the world. And we were narrowly missed. You know, we're overdue for a recurrence of one of these. 1859 was more than a century ago. In fact, on uh, July 23rd of 2012, we were narrowly missed by a coronal mass ejection from the sun. It missed us by just three days. And if NASA says that that hit the Earth, that basically would have been it for us. So we're living on borrowed time on uh, terms of the EMP in the terms of the threats from nature and man. And there's an, another threat from man in the EMP world, and that is uh non nuclear EMP weapons, non-nuclear, like called radio frequency weapons. Now these don't have the reach that a nuclear EMP does. They're localized and their effects, but basically anybody you can there are designs on the internet. You can build them using the kind of parts you can buy from a uh, an electronics store, and you don't even need to build them. They're actually um, non-nuclear EMP devices for sale that you can buy right out of a magazine. They're not intended to be used as weapons. They're intended to be used as peaceful diagnostic tools by in- industry, but they put out a very potent localized EMP, and uh, in effect. Even though they're not intended for this purpose, you know they are in effect a weapon of mass destruction, and you don't even need a license to buy one. So we've arrived at a place in history in, with technology because we're so dependent on technology now that a uh, a terrorist, a criminal, a madman, a single individual, you know, if he bought one of these things, put it in the trunk of his car, you know, went to a sub transformer substation out of a major metropolitan area, you know, could topple the technological pillars of civilization for a major metropolitan area. And if he knew, there was a study by the US Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. You know, there were about two thousand extra high voltage substations in the United States. But if you knew which nine to attack, just nine of them. You know, you could you could black black out the whole US grid for eighteen months you know without using a nuclear weapon without a cyber attack just by physical sabotage or by using non-nuclear EMP weapons and so that's what concerns me the most that's my biggest fear and uh... that's what my task force has been assigned that mission by congress to try to try to get our country protected against this on a on an accelerated basis and um... you know it's been a, a long struggle because people don't understand the threat one other another aspect of the threat that if we come away with nothing else something that needs to be understood and that I've tried to educate uh policymakers and public about in my book blackout wars for example mm-hmm. you know is that uh EMP is part of the cyber threat in foreign military doctrine you know and we're so We don't get this new way of warfare that's being planned by the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians. They have a a new way of warfare, basically based on Russian military doctrine. The Chinese and the others have copied it, uh, written their own military textbooks about it, but it's all pretty much the same. And uh, what it looks at is combining all these things I've been talking about with cyber attack and physical sabotage and EMP. You know, they throw in the kitchen sink. Instead of fighting the Marines, instead of fighting our Navy and our Air Force, in a future war, they would go after our electric grid and other critical infrastructures so to strike at our vulnerable technological Achilles' heel. And they can do it with just a small number of people in terms of commandos, with just, you know, a handful, uh, with, with cyber attacks with uh, physical sabotage, it would require just a small number of people, and with that single nuclear weapon, which is their ace in a hole, that's the part they consider most important. And if you coordinate all these three things together, the dynamic effect is much greater than using any of them individually on their own. Just the way the Germans discovered when they invented the Blitzkrieg strategy, that by using air power and armor and mobile infantry in combination, you know you could overwhelm the allied powers and defeat a much larger force with a smaller more agile force and uh, the biggest vulnerability was not technology in world war 2 just like it isn't today it's it's this failure of strategic imagination on our side where our people don't get it you know we're we're thinking our our cyber experts think that cyber is just, you know, computer that cyber warfare is gonna be just about computer viruses. They don't even talk to our EMP, nuclear EMP experts. And they don't talk to the radio frequency, non nuclear EMP guys. And none of those guys talk to the fellows who do sabotage. Instead they compete with each other for resources and attention when they should really be working together. All of our experts need to start working together to think about well, how would the enemy come at us with all of our skills? And we've got to come up with a defense to protect against all these things. You know, we're so unprepared that we're not even doing that, haven't grasped that basic concept yet. But I'm on my know, soapbox here for perhaps well, you, too long, so let no. me just shut up and I'll let you ask a question or two.
1: Well, uh, the soapbox is necessary, especially in this particular, uh, for this topic. I have one nagging question, and, and maybe it's too simplistic. Maybe it is, I don't know, but maybe it's naive in its nature. But we've known about this threat for quite some time. And it seems as if, now I've heard various uh, explanations and I've heard various numbers, but it seems to me, uh, the, somebody had quoted me, uh, a, a source of, uh, very knowledgeable about uh, the infrastructure of the United States, that to protect against something like the Carrington event or, or an EMP, a kind of a normal EMP, if there is such a thing, it would, it would cost about $2 billion to harden our systems or at least to get our systems to a state of semi-readiness. I, I guess my question is, having known about the EMP threat for so long, why hasn't anything been done to correct it, or at least to begin the hardening process of our infrastructure here in the United States?
0: Well, first, let me say that that, that two billion dollars is, is is accurate. That's the uh, Congressional EMP Commission's estimate of what it would cost to protect the electric grid—not not all the critical infrastructures, but the electric grid. And another thing: uh, the, the, now it's not the only plan. There are more expensive plans. There are much less expensive plans, but it's a good, solid plan. And what $2 billion buys you, it doesn't buy you perfect in vulnerability. You know, what it does uh, uh, for that little amount of money, and its amount of money, I mean, we give away $2 billion every year to Pakistan and foreign aid. I don't even know why we give money to Pakistan. They're nuclear weapons state, they hate us. They hit Osama bin Laden. But every year we give them $2 billion. If we suspended foreign aid to Pakistan for just one year and spent it instead on the security of the American people by protecting the electric grid, it would go a long way toward solving this problem. And what that $2 billion buys you is that it takes a civilization-ending catastrophe that would kill that could kill up to ninety percent of the American people, and transforms it into a manageable disaster. I mean, you'd still know the EMP had, had happened, and there'd be, you know, uh, it, there'd be a lot of things our emergency planners would have to do, uh, you know, to restore the grid and recover the other critical infrastructures. But we'd be able to do it, and we'd be able to do it in timely fashion, so millions of people wouldn't starve to death. Now, get into your mo- most of the more important question that you asked why haven't why haven't we acted well you know i remember when dr graham back in 2008 was asked that question in front of the house armed Services committee dr graham is basically my boss on the emp task force and on the congressional emp commission and he is uh you know he's the free world's foremost expert on emp he was actually present at starfish prime nuclear test in nineteen sixty two his first job as a young defense scientist was to go investigate well what happened why did the lights go out in hawaii you know he was present at the discovery of EMP by the west and when he was doing that work i was i was uh... i think i was in first grade or something you know or and uh... but when graham was asked why haven't we protected ourselves against the threat Dr. Graham's uh, answer was, you know, it's at times like these that I wish instead of having a, a PhD in electrical engineering, my degree was in abnormal psychology. And um because it's, you know, it is hard to understand it's, you know, why do we engage in such irrational behavior? But I think I have a a more precise answer for that. A more precise answer than that. And and actually it's not hard to discover why we haven't acted uh, and, uh, its name is NERC, you know, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, which represents the 3,000 electric utilities in the United States. And it's supposed to be, it's supposed to partner with the U.S. FERC, that's the U.S. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And, um, FERC doesn't have the power to order NERC to harden the grid. You know, the, Electric grid is the only critical infrastructure that still exists in the 19th century regulatory environment where they're allowed to make their own rules and to regulate themselves and decide how far they're going to go. Uh, and um, basically, the NERC, instead of really providing for the safety of the electric power grid, they, they're a lobby. That's what they really are in, in practice. They're a lobby to resist any di- any direction from Congress to, pr- to stop any bills from Congress or the states that would require the ha- electric grid to be hardened, because they don't want to, not only don't they want to spend the money, even more important to them, because the money isn't that expensive. What's more important to them is the power. They want to continue to have the power to regulate themselves, and they don't care in the end of the day. <laughs> About these larger national security issues, even if it means the death of their own children, uh, I mean I know that makes seem hard to believe, but that 's simply a fact of life it 's not because the people in NERk are evil you know it 's and don 't get me wrong here i 'm a big believer in the free enterprise system i 'm a tea party republican i don 't believe in big government, but the the founders who were you know libertarians at heart and they didn 't believe in big government either. They knew we needed some government. They knew we needed some government because the private sector doesn't do national security or public safety well. And that's why you need government to provide for the common defense, to take the longer view. You know, when the merchant is standing there with a dollar that he's made in his profits off the electric grid, and he has to decide whether he's going to spend that dollar on a once in to protect against a once-in-a-hundred-year magnetic superstorm, or the possibility of a terrorist nuclear EMP attack, he's always gonna, or put that dollar in his pocket, he's always going to put the dollar in his pocket, and he'll find good rationalizations for it. It's not his job, that's why we have a Department of Defense, that's why I have a Department of Homeland Security, the likelihood is so low, he's more concerned about the squirrel threat, and they will always put the dollar in their pocket. They're always capable of rationalizing that their self-interest is in the public interest, That's why we have government. And, um, you know, this has been, if you go back in history, I mean, there was a time when Coca-Cola really put cocaine in its soda, even though it killed its customers. That's right. Look at the Zeppelin industry in the 1920s. They wouldn't spend the money on helium. You know, they could have, instead of that, they convinced themselves that you could safely fly balloons around with explosive hydrogen gas and convince themselves and the flying public that their operational procedures were so good that there would never be a Hindenburg. And, uh, and that put them out of interest, put them out of business when Hindenburg did happen. Well, the whole country right now, uh, it, automobile manufacturers, they didn't voluntarily put seatbelts in cars and in pre- and safety glass. You know, government had to require them to do that- those things. And the situation is similar here. And that's what we've, one of our goals has been, you know, to try to get Regulations passed at the federal level, so that we can harden, so that we can empower FERC or some agency to require the electric power industry order them to harden the grid. And we haven't been unsuccessful, completely unsuccessful. We're actually winning this war. There have been a lot of victories on our side. But I'll stop there, and and uh, so that you can ask another question or tell me oh, if you want me to go on to describe some yeah. of our successes.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a combination of both. We've got about oh, I don't know, about four minutes uh, before we have to take a break. Now, having said that, um, it'll be by the way, it'll be about a three minute break at the bottom of the hour. But uh, so about four minutes left here. Um, uh, just by way of introduction for people just joining us now, folks, uh, our, our our guest is Doctor Peter Vincent Pry, a very very well known. Uh, uh, author, uh, speaker. He, he's, I, I read his, or uh, I just noted his bona fides earlier in the in the program, but uh, uh, the uh, books that he has authored with, if you, if you folks, if you go to his Amazon page you can just see Blackout Wars, Electric Armageddon and I'm going through this, Apocalypse Unknown and on and on and on. This man is the consummate uh, uh, authority on EMP, the devastation that it could and would cause, and of course, um, let me ask kind of a, a off-script, sideways question. Do you know Gary Haven, uh, 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 the producer of the film Amerageddon, which, which is uh, about the uh, about an EMP attack in, in America? Fictional account.
0: I don't know him well. We had a con- he called me, and we had a conversation or two, okay. and. Um, and uh you know, I, I know about his film. I, I haven't seen it, um, but uh, he uh, uh, at one time he seemed very interested in getting involved and in actually ha- helping my cause, mm-hmm. our task force. But yeah, I, I haven't haven't heard from, hadn't hadn't heard from him uh, in a while.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, the reason I asked is he's a friend of the program, and I really want to. Uh, give him a copy of this interview because I know that uh, he had discussed this issue with us when his film came out and right now hes be, I know he's busy in Haiti uh, he's been uh, uh, providing uh, actually uh, ground services, giving food and flying food and, and uh, stuff to, to the victims of the uh, earthquake and, and the, the uh, hurricane, however, this is important, I think that we all need to work together and people like yourself and, and others in the uh, uh, we need to work together to solve this. Now, be, again, we're, we're nearing the break, so the successes that you have are responsible for are many. Um, your, uh, I also want to ask you about, and I'm kind of preparing this for after the break too. You had written, I think, your latest article on um, at a uh, uh, family security matters deals with. Um, let me find it here. Deals with uh, North the, Korea. Uh, yes 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 that that really concerned me because i just had it uh and you can just answer this if you know this or if you're if you can say this one of the two satellites that are orbiting across north korean satellites reportedly have a small nuclear device capable of causing an emp do you know do you have any intelligence whether that's accurate or is that just a rumor or what do you know about that
0: well we're we don't know whether it does or not and uh uh, uh, that theory uh, originates with me and Jim Woolsey, who was the Clinton administration's CIA director, Fritz uh, Prince Ermark, who was the uh, chairman of the National Intelligence Council under Ronald Reagan, and, and Dr. Graham, you know, chairman of the MP Commission. All of us have written articles because trying to warn about those satellites, uh, you know, that we're concerned that they, that they might have nuclear weapons on them, you know, because the satellites are. There are two of them over us now. Uh, one of the, they're called the KMS three and the KMS four. You know, the KMS four was launched this year on February seventh, shortly after their fourth illegal nuclear test. And uh, you know, the reason we're suspicious of those satellites is that they uh, they look very much like a secret weapon the Soviets had uh, come up with during the Cold War. It was designed to make a surprise EMP attack against the United States. The idea, the idea was they would uh, use what looked like a peaceful space launch vehicle and a peaceful satellite to launch the satellite to the south, not over the North Pole, but in a southerly direction, so it flies away from the United States. And then it goes over the South Pole and comes up at us from the south. And uh, in the Soviet plan. As on that first orbit, as soon as it gets over the center of the United States, they would detonate it at high altitude to do the EMP. And why from the south? Because we don't have any ballistic missile early warning radars facing the south and we don 't have any missile interceptors faced south we didn 't during the Cold War we don 't today we 're blind and defenseless from that direction, so they'd catch us by surprise and These two North Korean satellites are exactly on that trajectory and they 're at the perfect altitude to put an EMP field over, over all forty eight contiguous United States and uh, the uh,
3: D- Dr. Uh, Pry, um, if you could hold that thought, we're up against the break. I'm going to pick up right here where you left off on the other side, The the especially with the um, missile intercept capabilities of the United States. Folks, you're listening to Dr. Peter Vincent Pry uh, on the Hagman and Hagman Report. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us.
1: listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our special guest, Dr. Peter Vincent Fry. This man really needs no introduction. Anyone uh, in the Intelligence Committee knows who this gentleman is. Of course, uh, just for your edification, ladies and gentlemen, he, he's the Executive Director of the EMP Task Force on National and Homeland Security, which is a congressional advisory board dedicated to achieving protection... Uh, of the United States from electromagnetic pulse, cyber attack, mass destruction, terrorism, and other threats to civilian critical infrastructures on an accelerated basis. He's also the director of the uh, U.S. Nuclear Strategy Forum, which is an advisory board to Congress. On policies to counter weapons of mass destruction, and uh, former, CIA, formerly with the CIA as well, he, Dr. Pry. You've seen him on numerous TV programs, radio. He's an expert on national security issues. The BBC made, in fact, the, and and I just came across this earlier uh, this week. The BBC had made uh, his book War Scare into a two-hour TV documentary and so it on on. Uh, documentaries, the Soviet war scare of 1983, and his book, Electric Armageddon, was the basis for yet another TV documentary. Uh, very well known in the, in the, uh, protection of, uh, the defense industry. Very well known. And a, and a great patriot as well, I might add. Before we get back to Dr. Pry, I just want to mention that, uh, Christmas is just, just barely down on us, isn't it? F- folks, if you haven't got that perfect gift for That's someone who's hard to, hard to find a gift for, someone who has it all. I want you to think about Omaha Steaks. That's omahasteaks.com. But Omaha Steaks, the fine folks there have created a package, especially for Hagman and Hagman listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com and as soon as you arrive there, all you have to do is put HH in the search bar. And listen to this. One of the packages they created for you, the listener, is what they call the family gift pack and this this is flying off the shelves i've got i got one for our neighbor for christmas and others we actually ordered one for for our home what you get are two filet mignons two top sirloins four boneless pork chops four boneless chicken breasts four kielbasa sausages four burgers a 12 ounce package of all beef meatballs four potatoes au gratin four caramel apple tartlets one omaha steak seasoning packet, which just makes the the, the the steaks just taste great. It's got that, that steakhouse flavor to it. Plus four additional kielbasa sausages free, all for under fifty dollars. It's forty nine dollars 99 nine. Seventy seven percent savings. This package was two hundred and fifteen dollars for you for listeners alone. For for listeners of the Hagman Hagman Report, it's now forty nine ninety nine. But folks don't stop there. You can shop for numerous items they they have they've got over 500 gourmet gift ideas the highest quality cuts and ingredients of meat one of a kind flavor it's easy it's quick just go to omahasteak.com put an hh in the search bar and have at it do your shopping never have to leave your home one click it's that easy omahasteaks.com hh in the search bar one more time omahasteaks.com hh in the search bar
3: our guest uh, joining us now is Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. Um, he is a former nuclear strategist for the CIA and member of the Congressional EMP Commission, for those of you who have joined us late. And right before the break, we were talking about the KMS-3 and 4 satellites launched by North Korea and the possibility of a nuclear weapon uh, being put on, the, on one of these satellites that were launched. And you were talking before the break about how the U.S. Uh, does not have um, the proper missile defense uh, on the southern, facing south, and that's why uh, you're concerned about the possibility that North Korea has a nuke on one of its satellites.
0: Yeah, that's right, and because because of the, also because of the nature of the orbit of these satellites, and we uh, we know from the Russians that uh, the North Koreans probably have the super EMP weapon, a design that the Russians told us supposedly accidentally leaked to the uh, to the North Koreans. A super EMP weapon, by the nature of its design, is a small, low yield weapon. It's not it's but it's configured to produce gamma rays, which is what creates the EMP effect. It doesn't create a big explosion. And um, you know, I think we, we think one of the mistakes the a lot of analysts and, uh, are are making and that has been misleading the mainstream media is that when you look at the uh, most of the North Korean detonations their tests tend to be low yield less than 10 kilotons and uh and um you know and uh, so people are quick to say oh the North Korean tests are failures because they haven't you know they haven't uh, achieved a high yield detonation. Ten kilotons is basically uh, a nominal nuclear weapon. That's what a uh, the atomic bomb that destroyed Hiroshima does. But no nation has ever actually failed in its first nuclear test. And it's highly unlikely that North Korea would fail five times, you know, in its nuclear tests. Uh, moreover, whatever that weapon is, they seem to be happy with it because they've been putting it onto missiles. And um uh but the configuration that of that of those tests, the low yield of the tests, you know, is another signature of what a super would look like, you know, because again, it's not designed to be create a big explosion. It's designed to channel its energy into producing gamma rays, which is what generates the EMP. So it's the all these things together, you know, the fact that the you know, we've got plenty of evidence that the North Koreans have probably got the super The orbit that the satellite is on, the altitude that the satellite is passing over because it looks just like that fractional orbital bombardment system, all these things add up to us that, uh, that those things could well be either testing, making a surprise EMP attack the way the Soviets planned to during the Cold War with this fractional orbital bombardment system, or did they actually have nukes on them right now, and what they're doing with those satellites, because they're in permanent, or a semi-permanent orbit. I mean, the orbit lasts for years. So that uh, it's, North Korea could be doing to us what, what uh, European powers and the United States would do to countries in the 19th century called battleship diplomacy. You know, if you had a crisis with uh, somebody, you send a battleship off their shore, and the crisis is over. Well, if North Korea ever feels that it's going to be attacked or get into dust up with the United States, it could inform us that, hey, you know what? You know, in a couple of in 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 thirty minutes, there's going to be a satellite passing over your country, and we could do an EMP attack that would end you. You know, that would give a president something to think about in terms of supporting our allies in South Korea or Japan. You know, because obviously our own country is our highest priority. Protecting our own people is, um, high, is our ultimate highest priority more so than protecting our allies. So they could be doing mm. nuclear EMP diplomacy on us or actually execute the attack And extremists. You know, uh, so it could be practice mm. or that could be a, an, an actual threat that's over us right now. And Kim Jong-un is paranoid enough and crazy enough to do something like that.
1: You know, Doctor Doctor Pry, we, I, I've uh, every uh, every forum that's out there on the internet. It seems like uh, the leader of North Korea is mocked and ridiculed, and the the threat is minimized. They, you know, he's all bluster, no ability to deliver. And uh, I just I look at some of the musings of uh, the people out there and i i wonder if you know is kim jong un is, is he does he represent indeed a legitimate worrisome threat that we we should be looking at but i know that sounds like oh, a really simple question but you
0: know. i'm glad you asked the question and I, I think it's an excellent question because you're absolutely right you know we have we make a big mistake as a society um uh in our, uh, So many people get their information from entertainment, you know. I mean, Kim Jong-un is widely mocked, uh, you know, uh, uh, because he looks like a funny guy, short, fatty, fatty guy. and um, And also, but even among people who are supposed to be serious, a majority of our strategic analysts and so-called thinkers in foreign policy, they have... We are a dysfunctionally you know, every society has a strategic culture. A strategic culture that is a product of their history. And we are kind of unique in the world, in the history of the world, and that we've been because we've we're we're protected from the from the vicissitudes of war that have happened in Europe and Asia, we've been protected by the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. I mean it's been a long time. I mean the American Civil War was fought on this society, but for the most part in our history We've had happy, you know, lives. Our homeland hasn't been devastated, uh, and that has bred in us. Uh, we have won most of the major wars that that have posed, all of the major wars that posed an existential threat to us, okay? We've lost minor wars, but the big ones we won. And we've won them overseas. They haven't had to be fought on our territory. We haven't been occupied, or people haven't been ex- executed in mass exterminations and things of that sort and we have been a successful society economically and in terms of our freedoms and this has created a strategic culture of optimism optimism a uh, uh, best case thinking and uh we tend to be uh what i would call dysfunctionally optimistic you know uh, we always think the outcome is going to be good and uh Uh, you know, we, we don't have the history of a country like a Russia, for example, or a China that has had numerous wars fought on its, on their territory, uh, that have had huge, lost millions of people in China and Russia. Almost every other country in the world, if you look at them, have had tragic histories, tragic histories. And they have a much more realistic perspective on the world, uh, Maybe, and may, may, uh, or even unrealistic, but in the opposite direction. For example, Russia has had so much, such a tragic history, that I consider their strategic culture to be dysfunctionally paranoid. You know, they see threats behind every tree where they don't even exist, you know. We're in the opposite direction, where we can't even see a threat run that's right under our nose, like a Kim Jong-un, who's constantly threatening to make a nuclear attack on us and to destroy us as a society... And he even has the means at his hands. He even has ICBMs that can reach the United States. The kn l eight and KN-14. The media keeps misreporting that. I mean, I just just today I read another press report that said it's going to be four years before North Korea gets an ICBM that can reach the United States. That's not true. You know, even the Obama's own Defense Department and intelligence community, they haven't. I said it publicly because the Obama administration doesn't like these things to be said out loud. Well, they have said it publicly, but not qu- but quietly in testimony to Congress, in reports that have been put out, the kind of thing that the average person doesn't read and that the Obama echo chamber in the press doesn't report very often. But the official position of the defense and intelligence community is that North Korea right now has two road mobile ICBMs, called the KN-08, the other is the KN-14, that are capable of reaching the U.S. mainland and probably have nuclear weapons on them. So they can, the Kim Jong-un has got the missiles. His missiles aren't very reliable, but he only needs to, the only, you know, only to, yeah. how many cities do you right need to lose? Even, yeah. you know, even if only, mo- excuse me?
3: No, you're yeah, right. You only need he only needs yeah. one one. So take. let me
0: talk a little bit, if I could, about Kim Jong Un a little more. Just let's apply a common sense kind of a thing here. You know who is Kim Jong Un? You know uh, the fa- I think all of your listeners probably know who Caligula was. You know the mad Roman emperor. Oh yeah. Caligula has been a was an important figure to our founding fathers in the way we formed our republic. You know, because they wanted to avoid. You know, one of the reasons we have checks and balances is they never wanted an American president to become like a Roman emperor, a Caligula, because he was—he's a sterling example of what happens. That, in fact, he was the character. You know, I think it was Jefferson's phrase about absolute power corrupts absolutely, and he's the guy that Jefferson was talking about as an example from Roman history where absolute power corrupted absolutely, and. I think even average Americans know about Caligula because he was so notorious. He was so evil. He was so bad to his own people and to the world that he lived in. And yet, uh, that evil, that twisted personality, was the product of only being a Roman emperor of absolute power for three and a half years. Just three and a half years of absolute power produced Caligula. Now, Kim Jong un is the product. Over over 70 years of absolute power, he's he's he inherited power from his father, who had absolute power all his life, and his father inherited absolute power from his grandfather, who had absolute power his whole life. So what we're looking at in Kim Jong Un is Caligula in the third generation, armed with nuclear weapons. And I ask you, should we be afraid of a Caligula? In the third generation, armed with nuclear weapons, and I Jeez. think even the dysfunctionally optimistic average American, if you think of about that way, should be a sobering thought. would you should we, would you think of it another way? Suppose you lived next door to some psychopath who, every time you went out of your house to go to the car in the morning, he would take a rifle and point it at you and threaten he was going to shoot you. Would you be afraid? In effect, that's what's happening with us in North Korea. Every time he orbits a satellite, every time he launches one of these missiles, and uh, the fact that we are not, as a society, afraid, concerned, so motivated, it should be totally unacceptable for us, for example, to allow those North Korean satellites to be passing over our country. They're not even legal. It was illegal for North Korea to launch those satellites, and yet we tolerate them. Uh, You know, what kind of society have we become? We've become so passive, and even to the point of self-destruction, you know, that we bury our heads so deep in the sand that we don't want to face these realities. And it hasn't always been this way. I mean, I contrast the way we have become with the way we were in the great generation. You look at the Eisenhower period. When uh, you know we had General Eisenhower in the White House, and Lyndon Bain Johnson was the foremost Democrat in the country. He was the speaker of the. He was the uh, in, in the Senate, the highest-ranking Democrat in the Senate, in charge of the U.S. Senate. And when Sputnik was launched by the Soviet Union back in the fifties, uh, they immediately knew what the implications of that was. You know, they said, "Wow, well, if the Russians can launch a satellite." and they can detonate a nuclear weapon it means they're going to be able to deliver a nuclear weapon by missile to the united states and we sprang into action we sprang into action and started training out icbms ourselves like sausages and it was a good thing we did you know we ended up having a five to one missile superiority over russia so that when the cuban missile crisis happened it was the russians who backed off and we didn't get into a nuclear war because we That was a a classic example of peace through strength, where our overwhelming military superiority made nuclear war unnecessary. If we hadn't done that, and the Russians thought that they might be able to win if we had just an equal number of ICBMs, the outcome might have been different. But here we are today, contrast that prudent behavior, that prudent grown-up behavior, and maybe the difference is, is that generation had gone through World War II and the Great Depression, and they had firsthand experience of how of how history, you know, can be tragic, and that the need to be prepared. But here we are, complacent. Most of us not even knowing that North Korea is orbiting satellites over us, and almost every month, Kim Jong Un threatens that he's going to destroy the United States, and he's got the
1: capability to do it. Dr. Pry, um, one of the questions, as a career investigator myself, and I'm looking at the geopolitical situation, the world situation, and after eight years of one of, I believe, one of the softest regimes, leadership, I call it a regime, not an administration, um, on the, on, 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 on defense, my question to you is this. If they have the capability, given the backdrop of the Obama crew, um why, why, ha- why didn't, why haven't they pulled the trigger? Why haven't they done anything? Why didn't they do anything? Well, I, the day's still not over yet, I guess, but you know, during the administ- administration of the leadership of, under Obama, why didn't they do anything to this point when they, when that would have been a soft target in the form of a response by Obama?
0: Well, the first answer to that question is that you don't resort to nuclear war or attacks or, or overt war when you're winning. You know, why should you do that when you're getting all your objectives? You know, basically, I won't say peacefully because the truth of the matter is you know we think we've been at peace, and that's how our dysfunctionally optimistic society, and that's how President Obama sees the world, okay that oh, at least we haven't been at war, right with Russia, China. That's not true. you know uh, we've been We've been in a new cold war with a combined combination of China, Russia, and North Korea Iran who are tacitly allied together, I believe, okay uh, for quite some time now for some years now they have different ideologies and different objectives but they're all united by the idea that the enemy of my enemy is my friend let's just take a look at russia What has russia been able to achieve during the obama administration you know they've displaced us as the dominant power in the middle east in a world that's still dependent on oil our allies in egypt and israel and saudi arabia have actually made pilgrimages to moscow to try to make nice with moscow Because they know they can't count on the United States anymore. Iran has gotten hundreds of billions of dollars from us. And um, basically, I believe Iran already has the bomb, all right? But but the Obama administration is willing to cover up that fact through this phony agreed framework. I mean, this phony, that was a, a Freudian slip. It's their only a, a joint agreement that they've got. They agreed f- the agreed because that North Korea did the same thing under the Clinton administration, where Clinton, for eight years, basically got away with the lie that his agreed framework had stopped North Korea's nuclear weapons program. When in fact, North Korea, I knew this, we were... I was on the North Korean advisory group and the House Armed Services Committee, and the press wouldn't listen to us. We kept trying to tell anyone who'd listen that the Greek framework is a fo- farce that isn't working. North Korea's building more nuclear weapons all the time. What they were trying to do is buy time to develop an ICBM that could reach the United States. China, you know, the Hague just ru- ruled well a month ago, you know, that China's artificial islands and claims to the South China, South China Sea are illegal. And China basically has completely ignored the ruling and hasn't moved its bases. It's increasing its bases, increasing its military presence. And uh, in in effect, China has, the the echo chamber in the American press doesn't want to say it, but the reality is China has annexed the South China Sea. Why is that important? It's because it's one of the world's great oil reserves, and the world trade it goes to Japan and South Korea, and, you know, and, uh, and North America and South America all passes through that part of the part of the world. It's, they've got their foot on a vital trade route that's probably even more important than the Straits of Hormuz, and they've all they've managed to achieve all of this w- without firing a shot in a time now. Russia is firing shots. It's, it's it's annexed in addition to the Middle East. It's annexed Crimea, and it has uh successfully destabilized. It's waging a proxy war against Ukraine. Why is this? Why is Russia messing around with Ukraine? Because that's sending a message to the NATO alliance that the uh, this is a war on the NATO alliance, a psychological war on the NATO alliance. Don't forget. You know, Putin was a KGB agent. You know, he understands psychological warfare and how to try to achieve <coughs> methods by sh- this. Is, I want to say, sure to war, because we actually are at war with these guys. They are waging wars against us. And in fact, all of these things are really nuclear wars. One of the things people don't understand is, you know, nuclear war isn't just, or even primarily, Detonating off nuclear, de- the actual nuclear detonations would actually use the nuclear weapon to attack. Um, the great British strategist Colin Gray observed that every war fought since the end of World War II has been a nuclear war. And day-to-day relations between states in the nuclear age are all, in effect, nuclear wars. Why is that? That's because nuclear weapons are strategic weapons. They're not just tactical battlefield weapons, but they're strategic weapons. They form the psychological landscape on which states make their foreign policies and economic decisions and alliance decisions. You know, you are aware that Russia, for example, has got, it dominates the nuclear balance because it's got an advantage in tactical nuclear weapons. And so we're afraid to go in and help ukraine for that reason you know you don't have to use the weapons by blowing them up because their use is they affect the psychology of your adversary they affect their calculations that's what north korea is doing us to us colin gray would say and i would agree with him that we're actually engaged in, we don't know it because we're again dysfunctional optimistic but north korea is in effect waging a nuclear war against us right now north korea by its belligerence, is showing our allies that it can't they can't rely on the united states it's it's forcing the united states into situations where we have to decide how much do we want to keep what are we willing to do to keep japan and south korea reassured or is it time for us to change course and go into a period of isolationism which is what north korea china and russia want they want us to go into our own borders and to withdraw from the world to, so that they can end this world order that's currently dominated by the united states to displace us and they've been doing it without a sh- without a big shooting world war like world war ii they've been doing it they've been playing chess and we've been playing checkers and winning and that's why they haven't attacked us yet and what i'm really concerned about but look to conclude my long-winded peroration here on this point You know, we're not out of the woods yet, because the Obama administration hasn't left power. And I just wrote another book uh, called The Long Sunday, Election Day 2016 to Inauguration Day 2017, Nuclear EMP Attack Scenarios. I was giving this book away before the elections, uh, and uh, it's available on Amazon.com. Amazon unfortunately wouldn't let me give it away forever. You end up having to charge something for it, but it could be bought for a t- token price from Amazon.com. And the point of this is that the Obama administration has so has has been so catastrophic for our defense and foreign policy that. That during this period, before Obama leaves office, we really have to be concerned that the bad guys might actually decide to take advantage of this, his, this weak, exceptionally weak president. You know, do they wow. want to, they've been, they've been winning everything, but uh, I'm not predicting that it's likely that we're going to have an EMP attack on this country or whatever allies or a war breakout somewhere, but he has been such a bad president that we have to, for the first time, you know, the, the threat to us and to our lives could be that close. It could be that right. close. This would be a perfect and
3: Dr. Prye, time if you get all that for
0: them
3: to attack. Yes. Oh, if we're yep. up against the break, Doctor Pry, we'll, we'll pick up right here when we come back, folks. You're listening to the Doctor Peter Vincent Pry. Stay with us.
1: The Hagman and the Hagman. Doug and Joe Hagman bringing you the news unfiltered, unvarnished the news that you're not going to hear in the corporate mass media necessarily folks, imagine it's Sunday, the election is over you're either anxious to watch the inauguration dreading it or escaping by watching Netflix instead you rate leaves in the morning and then watch your favorite football team win, you had dinner and as the long day is winding down, you're watching a coveted DVD with your family. The lights flicker, then, and everything goes black. You head to the electric junction box in your basement. Oh, how many times have we done that? Your flashlight shines on all the circuits; they're all tripped. You switch them back, but nothing works. Back upstairs, you check your watch, but the light won't. Uh, but the light won't go on when you press the button. And the, Face is blank, you move your to your bay uh, bay window and look outside, no lights anywhere as far as you can see, now think about that, darkness everywhere, you pick up your cell phone, you you press 911 and nothing, you you pick up your electric landline, I think at that point I would know, but you pick up your landline and, and there's no dial tone, you check your laptop, it won't boot. You decide to drive to your friend's house across town to see if he's all right. You hop in your car, you turn the key, nothing. It won't even turn over. So think about that, ladies and gentlemen, that scenario. That is an introduction to the long Sunday, Election Day 2016 to Inauguration Day 2017, nuclear EMP attack scenarios by our guest, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. Go to Amazon.com and uh, just put in the, uh, find Dr. Prize author's page because all of his books are there. But you'll have to type, you might have to type in the long Sunday in the search bar. It's, uh, it's the price I just, I don't know, it's oppressive. It's zero. Yeah, it's free with Kindle Unlimited. All right, but it's well worth the read. I do suspect I have not read it yet. I intend to this weekend. We're so uh, great. Uh, we're so gracious to have as our as our guest, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, for just joining us this hour. Dr. Peter Vincent Pry is a man of many many credentials, much experience. He's the executive director of the EMP Task Force on National and Homeland Security, which is a congressional advisory board dedicated to achieving. Protection of the United States from electromagnetic pulse, cyber attack, mass destruction, terrorism, and other threats to civilian critical infrastructures on an accelerated basis. Dr. Pry, he's also the director of the United States Nuclear Strategy Forum, an advisory board to Congress on policies to counter weapons of mass destruction. And he served on so many committees staffs. For, uh, it's just amazing. He was an intelligence officer with the CIA responsible for analyzing Soviet and Russian nuclear strategy. Now, this gentleman's got the, got the bona fides to talk to us, to talk to you, and to let you know the threat is serious right before the break. He was referencing the long Sunday. Joe, uh, hop on in here because yeah. we got we got some many, many questions. And listeners all over the world are, are actually sending in questions and comments. They love Dr. Pry. And, uh, very familiar with him on family security matters, his writings, his works, and, uh, agree 100% with the, with the, uh, uh, assessment about, uh, the Chia Pet over North Korea. Don't underestimate that. That's and, part. uh, yeah, Dr. Pryor, right before the,
3: the break, we were talking about, uh, the remainder of the Obama term and what we have to be concerned about and what we need to watch for up until the inauguration of Trump.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking at this the way I used to look at things when I was a CIA analyst, trying to stand in the shoes of the adversary and thinking about, well, when would be the best time to attack? If I was going to attack, when would be the best time to attack? I think this 74-day period between the elections and the inauguration time would be a a great time to make an EMP attack or to start a war somewhere in the world, uh, because... That 74-day period I call Long Sunday. You know, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December seventh, 1941. We're in the shadow of the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, as we speak. And they did that on Sunday because they knew that the U.S. Army and Navy were at their least vigilant on a Sunday. Well, this 74-day period is when our preparedness is we are at our lowest vigilance and in eight years during this period you know we've had eight years of obama tearing down our military forces so our military strength is low ebb our nuclear deterrent is at low ebb it's practically obsolete and uh, uh our country is deeply divided you know for the first eight years uh, time in eight years we're going through a tra- a pr- transition from one president to the next, and the country has been deeply divided over this divisive election, so we're divided from top to bottom and the government is going through this period you know this seventy four day period was not conceived of in a modern times, you know basically dates back to the nineteenth century when we were in agrarian society before before you could make EMP attacks and cyber attacks at the speed of light, you know. And uh, this is a horse and buggy kind of a transition we've got, where where one administration is going to be slowly replaced by another during this defense transition. And the two administrations hate each other, okay? Uh, the uh, We have a number of holidays during this period. There's a little extensive number of holidays. Official Washington is largely absent during this period. Congress is going to go home tonight, and lots of people who are in the CIA, the NSA, the intelligence community are going to be traveling out for the holidays. So our vigilance for this long period is relaxed. And you've got President Obama still president during this period, the guy who has always backed down always back down you know you can cross any one of his lead red lines syria has done it north korea has done it china has done it russia has done it and he's never he's always back down so do you want to lose the opportunity when he steps out and you have this new unknown actor a guy who sounds like he might be tougher coming in so again i'm not saying that it's likely that a dmp attack will happen but i'm very concerned that I'm very concerned that he might not that it that it could happen and that and that he's left our our defense and foreign policy in such a catastrophical in, in such a catastrophe that uh for the for the first time, well, I think in history, you know, this country has got to worry about an existential threat. Perhaps happening you know within days or weeks during this period that it's that it's serious enough that you know, that we have to worry about it. and we're not going to be out of the woods even when Obama is out of office. I'll be concerned that you know as the next president tries to rebuild the military, what will our adversary do? You know, will they give us time? Will they let a Trump administration harden our electric grid and harden our critical infrastructures against EMP and cyber and physical sabotage? Will they give him the time to modernize and rebuild our nuclear deterrent, to rebuild the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force? You know, uh, when they see us actually taking steps to reverse our weakness, will they decide, well, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to take them out now. You know, we unfortunately, this destructive president, the liberals like to call him and he calls himself a transformational president and that is true you know he has certainly been a transformational president he has transformed us from from the ronald reagan presidency you know you remember there was a time not that long ago when there was a book written by a guy named frank francis fukuyama called the end of history and the thesis of that book is that with the defeat of the Soviet Union and the Cold War uh, by the United States, that the long struggle between tyranny and democracy, you know, between freedom and socialism, or centralized methods of of decision-making in the economy and, and society, had been resolved in favor of freedom. And that that was basically... That struggle was over with our victory in the Cold War, and the evolution of the world was going to be going in a direction. And for a while, that was true. For a, a few happy moments, you know, was almost, we had these Camelot years in the aftermath of the uh, Cold War. It really looked like that freedom might sweep the world. But then this president, in eight years, has managed to turn that all around. So freedom is on retreat everywhere, and we're now fighting for our lives again. And it's just, just, uh, it's uh, heartbreaking. I, you know, I, I. It's a very depressing thing because, you know, I look at my grandchildren and my children. You know, and we all want to pass on to them. I mean, I was told, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you can lose freedom in one generation. It's up to every generation to pass that on and to pass a better America on. Uh, you know, we're going to be the first generation. I don't want to be that generation that is the first generation that has passed on a lesser america to our children or maybe even has lost america where we've lost our freedom and even our, our lives because of these threats unfortunately it's our sad our sad lot to be part of a generation uh... you know that uh... that is facing that kind of prospect um, you know we've got a chance we've been given a chance, been given a chance now to turn this around with these elections uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to rain on the parade and make everybody think that we're not going to turn it around, okay? It's a period of hopeful optimism and all the rest. But it is just astonishing to me how quickly uh, uh, the Obama administration has managed to fritter away, you know, the, uh, the great victory of the Cold War that uh, had been given us by the Reagan administration. And, uh, you know, we've gone from a posture of peace through strength where the concept just has been forgotten, just been forgotten by that administration.
3: Yeah. Um, kind of switching gears here, you mentioned Iran earlier in the show. Um, the Obama administration struck a, a nuclear deal with Iran. Uh, did this open up any and uh, or expand any EMP threats that are posed to the West and the United States?
0: Well, the deal itself didn't... Uh, Create new threats. I, I think the uh, uh, I think the the the, uh, the, uh, the deal the Obama administration struck with Iran is is a farce. I think it is uh, it is no better than it's been worse, in fact, than Bill Clinton's agreed framework. You know, which which was basically a fiction and which was supported by the press and was a, fundamentally a lie to the American people. That Bill Clinton had solved the problem of a nuclear group in North Korea. Look where we are today. We talked at length about North Korea, and everybody seems to have forgotten during the whole eight years of the Clinton administration, you know, he was taking credit for having solved that problem. Well, how did that work out? I, I think the Obama's agreement with Iran will work out no better. In fact, there's really compelling evidence that Iran already has the bomb uh... i've written articles about this jim Woolsey has i mentioned that dr graham and fritz airmarth who had been you know chairman of the national intelligence council under ronald reagan you know these are private experts ambassador henry cooper who had been the director of the sdi you know real experts at this have written articles that have been ignored by the mainstream media uh... you know that we believe iran already has the bomb in fact that iran probably has had the bomb oh since probably before 2003 for more than a decade you know we base this on just uh, some partially common sense but also a lot of evidence uh... you know ask yourself and you don't need to be an intelligence analyst to come to this conclusion it, it, let's talk about the common sense approach first you know how long did it take the united states to build two atomic bombs and uh, of two completely different designs. It was an, um, an implosion bomb that burned plutonium. And the other one was a gun-type device that burned uranium. It, how long did it take us to come up with those two bombs in World War II during the Manhattan Project? It took only three years, three years, to build two atomic bombs of completely different design. And both of them worked perfectly. One of them wasn't even tested. You know, we didn't even test the Hiroshima bomb. Hiroshima was the test. The one test we had was of the more complicated design, the plutonium device. But both of them worked perfectly when they were first used. So we know from our own experience that even when the first atomic bombs were invented, and nobody even knew for sure that they would work, that you can do it, that they could work, and you could use 1930s, 1940s era technology to build these atomic bombs, okay? three years now fast forward to Iran Iran supposedly has the bomb administration wants us to believe that Iran has been crashing on the bomb they've had a Manhattan Project going for 30 years and they don't have the bomb yet 30 years and they've they've got access to 21st century technology and they've got all kinds of unclassified information on how to build bombs you know the, the Manhattan Project papers were declassified you can get a book at a public library by a guy named Aristotle Phillips called Mushroom. And in that he describes how he, when he was a, working uh, as a graduate student at MIT as a school paper, he designed an atomic bomb using unclassified sources. So does Iran not have a library card? You know, I mean, so the design information is there, the technology is there, they've had plenty of time. And then there's this. We know from the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency, which is a really bad watchdog. These guys—they're basically—they basically aren't very good at their jobs, and uh, they tend to be blind. And uh, and uh, but even the IAEA has come up with some nuggets of intelligence that they published in one of their reports in 2011, and they discovered that prior to 2003. Iran was building bridge wire detonators and neutron generators and had done an implosion test of a, an implosion device. Now, in the Manhattan Project, when we were uh, building the atomic bomb, you know, when we built bridge wire detonators and neutron initiators and did an implosion test, we were less than six months from having the bomb, you know. That's that's the kind of thing you do when you already understand how the bomb works, and you're basically getting ready to put it together. Now, they had all that before 2003. You know, that's uh, you know 13 years ago. So, I think the evidence so, is compelling. Okay. That, yeah, uh, that they've. Uh, are,
1: are they? Are they? So, if we're hearing you correctly, Iran more than likely has had the bomb. The atomic weapon bomb since 2003, and and I've I've been saying that as well. Um, my I, I've interviewed sources ranging from, uh, and and you may or may not agree with the sources. I, it, it, it it really doesn't matter. Um, I've, I've talked to people like Dr. Uh, uh, Laurie Milroy. Um, I've talked to people that I'm, I'm trying to think of all the people who had. Well, of course that, that was about a couple of different matters. But anyway, many had said or suggested that, hey, it looks like they've got the bomb. So, are, are, what, again, now, is this a matter, because they, they've got the bomb, why haven't they used it? Or did you answer that earlier by saying, by just having it is sufficient, even if, if it's not admitted you know or or are they waiting for a delivery system or are they playing a game where they, they're they're i mean what's the deal with this um, well
0: i'm not sure i you know there's a couple of po- alternative theories okay the hopeful theory the hopeful theory the theory that i hope is true is uh is is the answer i gave before that you don't have to go to war when you're already winning and getting what you want i mean look That's what iran has gotten from the obama administration it's hard to imagine they could get more by actually using the bomb you know <laughs> yeah, we've abandoned our allies in israel and egypt and saudi arabia we've tried to make iran a strategic partner uh, you know and uh, we've given them carte blanche um you know we're helping them basically they've taken over iraq and we're helping them take right. over more in the battle against isis you know uh, what more do they want? I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine what more they they, they, they could get, and um, the uh, uh, so they're winning all of these geopolitical and and it's possible. And here's I've sometimes uh, uh, a part of this theory might be: Well, have you ever wondered or considered the possibility, you know, that the reason the Obama administration is doing all these things is because it knows Iran has the bomb, too. And it knows it can't do anything about it and doesn't want to go to war with them, all right? And it's trying to exit gracefully from the Middle East without provoking them. And so it's engaging in this long policy of appeasement, giving them everything they want because, because you know, they don't want to, uh, Iran to attack us. And so, in effect, Iran is winning, and it's not even in a naive Obama administration, but it could be conscious decision on their part. That's another, one possibility. Another possibility is the Obama administration is just so blind and naive, and they drink their own Kool-Aid so much that they uh, believe their own propaganda. And I think that that's probably the l- more likely theory. The theory I'm most afraid about, though, is, you know, Iran is not a normal... to do
1: so that's interesting and, and a lot of people don't really understand the medieval nature of the of the, the mentality behind that Islamic uh, uh the Sharia law that yeah. you know that that whole concept
3: well uh, I, I have a, we have two minutes till we go to the break but just a quick question when you say it, when you phrase it like that um Dr. Pry it, it makes me wonder well how come that same ideology isn't transferred to you know a lot of the terrorism we see where it, it's offensive in nature um and they seem to be, you know, all right in carrying out those attacks along religious purposes, for religious purposes. How come that doesn't transfer with Iran?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that isn't... Uh, those are... Those kinds of attacks haven't yet been apocalyptic-scale attacks where you're okay. really engaged in the final battle, okay? The final battle, their version of the Armageddon, where they're going to bring in their best and biggest firepower and do the last battle of the crusade, you know where you're basically going to exterminate the unbelievers um what they've been doing with the terrorists and all the rest that's that's all acceptable but it's, it tends to be small-scale scale stuff if you're gonna if you're gonna basically do genocide it, it might be I mean one could still argue that the point that you're making that sure you know that would be acceptable too but I, I suspect the mullahs want to be absolutely sure that they're right with, with with Allah I mean I could be wrong about that you know uh it, it uh it you know it could be uh it could be some other thing that uh is uh you know some obscure matter of the planets and stars lining up in a certain way for all I know I mean there are so many uh obscure aspects to their ideology um
3: yeah, and you said it and, yourself, you know, there could be something
0: a... else, but I'm just giving these as examples of how they might think about things, you know, that would explain from that ideological perspective why they wouldn't use the bomb yet. The easiest one to think is, is, is to think of them as a normal nation, nation state and that they've achieved, they're achieving their objectives without using the bomb or by using it for intimidation. Unfortunately, I don't think that that theory... Is true. I don't think they're okay. a normal nation state. I think I think I think they're an Islamic state, and uh, and we don't understand their motives well enough to know when and why they're going to actually use the bomb. But it will be connected to their views of the end times, and the, and and it will definitely be connected to using it to bring back the Twelfth Imam and win this final struggle.
3: Okay, hold that thought, Doctor Pryor. We're up against our last break. We'll be right back with Doctor v- Peter Vincent Pry right after this. Stay with us,
1: well, folks. Welcome back to the Hagler Report. We are so blessed to have with us Doctor Peter Vincent Pry. And again, all you have to do is just put his name in a search engine you will see the credentials of this man I'm not going to go through them all we, we, uh, the show's not long enough for, for that uh, Dr. Pry often appears on TV and radio as an expert on national security issues and uh, he's, he's he was an intelligence officer with the CIA uh, responsible for analyzing Soviet and Russian nuclear strategy this gentleman knows what he's talking about to be sure now you know we kind of we had uh, the the first well since Dr. Pry came on, we really dominated the 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 area of questions that uh, we lobbed over to Dr. Pry. We didn't talk about solutions. We didn't talk about perhaps some things that he wanted to talk about, and certainly we didn't give him a chance to promote his books uh, or his projects, anything that he wanted to do. Dr. Pry, um, before we go any further. If you would, if you would like, if you don't mind, go ahead and tell our audience about where they can find your work and perhaps, uh, direct people into, well, of course, the, the long Sunday that's available on Family Security Matters as well as Amazon for free. But, uh, uh, if you want to direct people to your work where they can find your work or, and, and then from there, let's talk about whatever you want to talk about for the remainder of the program, solutions or anything else.
0: Okay, well, I, I think we have talked enough about my books, which can be, you know, you can get them on Amazon.com or through CreateSpace.com. But I would like to talk about solutions, you know, what people can do, and and we are winning this thing. We are winning the struggle to try to protect the electric grid, uh, and uh, we've had a huge success just this uh, just uh, uh, just this week, the um, Critical Infrastructure Protection Act passed the house and the senate this week it is a core recommendation of the emp commission we've been fighting for years to get this through and most people think it will be signed into law by the president because it was attached to the national defense authorization act and basically this will require the department of homeland security to to start planning uh for an emp event to protect the electric grid and crit- other critical infrastructures and uh it will uh Add EMP as a national planning scenario, there are like 15 canonical national planning scenarios and EMP will be a new national planning scenario. All of our emergency planning, training, and resource allocation done by millions of first responders and emergency planners across this country are geared to the national planning scenarios. So for the first time, they're all gonna have to start getting ready for the EMP. And I think this will bring such pressure to bear on the electric utilities You know that in the long run, it may make it politically impossible for them to resist the pressure to do the right thing and pardon and harden themselves and protect their assets. Of course, we may not have a lot of time, so the long run it's good enough for me. So we're going to continue to try to push for federal solutions. um, To to I would like to change the institutional arrangements so that uh, NERC doesn't. Run uh, isn't responsible anymore for for protecting the grid, but we'll to give that to uh, you know the Department of Defense or something. The actual responsibility of pr- pr- protecting the grid. Now, at the uh, so people could write and call their congressmen, their senators, tell them to join the Congressional EMP Caucus, the Congressional EMP Caucus, and become part of the solution. Uh, Congressman Trent Franks is one of the leaders uh, of the Congressional EMP Caucus, and he's been leading the fight at the national level to try to get this country protected at the state level. I wouldn't wait for Washington, though. You know, Washington doesn't do anything. It's not just EMP, but they can't seem to do anything anymore competently. Um, You know, they can't even make a website for Obamacare that works. The government just doesn't work very well at the federal level anymore. I have found, though, my EMP task force, while we've been continuing to try to work at the federal level, we've been focusing a lot of our attention at the states. And the further away you get from Washington, the better government seems to work. Uh, you know, through our activities, Maine and Virginia and Florida and Arizona have all passed legislation to protect their people from and, uh, and uh, electric grids uh, and to get prepared for from uh, an EMP catastrophe and other threats. So this can be done. You can island a state grid, even though it's connected to the larger regional grid. If you install blocking devices and Faraday cages. And surge arresters on transformers and generators and skaters and other vulnerable parts. Even though the regional grid will go down, you can still keep the electricity in your state, the electric grid in your state, working, and become an island of survivability. It's literally called islanding the grid, and it was one of the recommendations. So you don't have to wait to Washington, a, a governor at the state level state governments do have the authority to order the utilities within their state to protect the grid. Governors can do it by executive order. The state legislatures can do it by a bill. The public service commissions can do it. In Maine, which is the first state where we started, uh, you know, uh, we started with one person, one state representative. Her name was Andrea Boland, and she was a Democrat. And she uh, took this on and Nobody on uh, the Maine State Legislature, when we first went to them, they thought that we were, we were crazy. They had never even heard of EMP. But when we got, sat them down with the experts and briefed them on this, and they brought in Central Maine Power, and Central Maine Power proved, we proved to them that CMP didn't know what it was talking about and wasn't doing anything, uh, it took just six months from going to, from nothing, and with one person in the state of Maine, for to passing a bill that was signed into law by the governor six months after eight years of making no progress in washington you know we started getting grids protected a grid protected in that state in six months and similar success stories have happened in other states uh... you know we're such a small organization you know there's only a handful of us uh... you know so we're not able to cover all fifty states at once it's one state at a time i'm working in texas now in louisiana and uh... but uh, your listeners, uh, you know, you can start your own movement there. Get your state legislature, Tell, ask your governor to pass an executive order. Find somebody in the state legislature who can take this on and become a leader to do it. And then, think of your own family. You don't have to wait for the state to get protected either. I mean, every individual, you know, can do things to protect themselves and their families and should. You know, have a food supply, have a water supply, get a medicine kit, know how to use it, have a plan so that you can get through a protracted period without electricity. You know, that, that kind of plan, it's uh—it's basically the same kind of thing that you do for hurricanes or tornadoes or any kind of an emergency, except think of the emergency as lasting a much longer time and just have that kind of preparedness. Um, it's a shame that, you know, uh, that we've gotten to a point where people have to be told to prepare, be prepared. You know, my father's generation, the great generation that had lived through the Great Depression and World War II, um, they were all, all prepared. That great Republican and Democrat, I mean, they were all in effect what we would call survivalists today. In fact, the word survivalist is almost used with derision. And uh, which is a shame how there's been this cultural change in one generation. You know, Americans historically have been survivalists since the founding of our nation. Uh, you know, the notion of rugged individualism and self-sufficiency and the pride that you can take care of your own family and that you don't want to rely on government, these are distinctly traits of the American character. They're characteristics that made this country great and free. And my, my father's generation, you know, They had never, my father never heard of EMP, but if something like that happened, they would have been ready for it because they were ready for anything. You know, they were constant. My mother was constantly, we had a all of our, you know, we only lived on a half an acre, but we had a garden. We ate a lot of, a lot of our food came out of the garden. My father fed his family during the Great Depression by hunting. He taught us how to hunt and fish, not just for recreation, but because that's how they survived through the Great Depression, Um, you know these kinds of characteristics that last great generation they were like the last of the pioneer stock you know and um, and uh, these characteristics I would also say this, this this pride and self-sufficiency this mistrust that the government isn't going to be there for you and you don't even want to rely on the government okay there was a consciousness that the more you depend on government for your survival or well-being the less free you are that's just Americans have always seemed to know that in their bones up until recently, and I think the founders this unique American character of rugged individualism and self sufficiency is a necessary thing for us to continue as a free republic, you know so even if we're not talking about the m p in survival situations, it's a character trait that we need to hang on to if America is to continue to be great and free um, but those are the core messages i would like the audience to take away to act don't be passive you know the government works for you at the federal and state levels take an initiative try to get them to do something because this is directly related to your own personal survival you know you pay a fortune in taxes to the federal and state governments get something out of it by making these guys do their jobs and then don't trust them to do their jobs because because you're your own you're your own best defense against anything so take the steps that you ne- know need to be taken it's not that expensive and it's not that hard to just think it through it's ninety percent planning and uh... you know and ten percent expenditure on, on, on the necessaries to be prepared and um... you know if if we recapture if most of the population recaptured those virtues that the great generation had about rugged individualism, self-sufficiency, and being prepared would be much, much better posture to survive these threats that we've been talking about, even if the feds and the states, you know, fail in their jobs.
3: Yeah, and there is, um, we have uh, different sponsors and and people who come on the show and have different methods for protecting your car and your, your devices, and there are things that people can do individually, even aside from... Uh, you know the state and, and uh, governmental, federal government uh, solutions that can protect uh, different aspects of their own personal life, like uh, the vehicle is a big one. And the scenario, yeah, God, you can you can there,
0: protect the car for for less than a hundred dollars, and uh, you know in a couple of hours at the time of a mechanic, you know, just get some ferrite tubes from an electronics store and hire a mechanic to install them on the long wires in the car's engine compartment. You know, an EMP has to couple into a, into something. It can't couple directly into a semiconductor. You know, the wavelength of an EMP, even from a super EMP weapon, you know, is about, about a third of a meter to half a meter, you know. So it's got to couple into something about that long. And, um, you know, uh, in order to follow the wires down to the semiconductor, now the ferrite tubes aren't going to guarantee the car will survive, okay? But it will greatly decrease the vulnerability and increase the likelihood that it would. There are other more expensive things one can do. I mean, you can harden a car so that you'd be absolutely sure. Uh, You know, um, Mm -hmm. you could do routine things like parking it underground when you go to park it in an underground garage. I mean, that Mm -hmm. that would pretty much guarantee survival.
1: You, you know i i have a kind of a just a silly question or a basic question i don't know uh cars without the electronic systems uh, pre like pre nineteen eighty five cars or cars from the seventies uh more likely to survive because of the uh, lack of electronics that is correct yeah right?
0: that's that is correct yes all right, yeah all right. but it uh, sure. it's true that you're that you have one of those cars you know you can take modern car and uh and harden it uh right. uh relatively inexpensively i don't like though that they are oh they they, they do these un- that make the cars more and more vulnerable and less and less practical from a survival standpoint like um you know like most vehicles you can't crank the windows down anymore you know right the electronics right. and the doors have to work you know you, you, even if the engine works, what if it's hot in the summer? It can become intolerably hot, and if you can't get the windows down, I mean, the, the car basically is still not use, useful to you.
1: I see, yeah, well, Doctor Pry, the reason I ask that question, seriously, um, honestly, I should say, is because I'm trying to convince my wife that I do need that 1976 Jaguar. Um, you know i uh, i'm kidding of course but uh <laughs> trying to justify the purchase now again i'm joking but okay so you you've you've really laid out some some good solutions um of course food water your basic your medicine uh medical supplies and being very proactive on a state and federal level yeah uh, so yeah
0: that's right you know I'll get a, I'll give you a good excuse to get a swimming pool you know yeah uh, you know, a, 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 a you know, swimming pool is also a reservoir of water. Um, you know, when you use the chlorinated tablets, try to avoid using the ones that have the fungicide stuff in them, okay? But if you use pure chlorine tablets, I mean, it's basically the same kind of water you get out of a reservoir. That's 20,000 gallons that would last you more than a year, uh, you know. Or, you know, buy, you know, a bucket of uh of, uh, of chlorine that you use for purifying a swimming pool. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you know how to use it, you know, you could. that, that would be enough to provide water for a whole community. Um, uh, a siphon pump, a manual siphon pump, so that you can access gasoline at the gas stations, you know, mm-hmm. because the pumps won't work in the aftermath at, at the EMP, but the gasoline is still there. Uh, fire de- Local fire departments and... Uh, Communities, individual communities, can can plan and protect themselves. Local fire departments and and uh, and police departments they should have siphons, they should have uh, chlorine and, uh, and and special medicine. But most of all, they should have a plan for this sort of thing. Take take account of the resources in your community. How much food is there? Where is the water located? Are there public swimming pools? Find a uh, one building. Maybe an elementary school or something, and rig it up so that you'll will be able to provide heat and air conditioning for a protracted period in that one building, so that so that the young and the old, the most vulnerable of our society, you know, would have a shelter, you know, where they could go, you know, to survive in clement in clement conditions. Um, people would be amazed at how much talent there is among retirees living among them. Doctors, engineers—those people oftentimes are looking for something to do. Put them in charge of coming up with a plan for the community. Um, anyway, these are just some ideas, uh, you know, about how a community can uh, can uh, can get ready and prepare itself. You know, uh, indeed.
1: Mm. I, uh, Dr. Pry, if, if I can just veer off just really quick because we're, we're almost to the end of the program, I just I just want to ask you: Are you more optimistic? And, and, and I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just trying to be practical and pragmatic, given the election results here. Are you, are you more optimistic with respect to? Oh how things might go in terms of our national security with uh with the uh, with the Trump victory and uh, or or do you see maybe things going sideways domestically?
0: I'm much more optimistic. I'm uh okay. you know, I if Trump hadn't won uh you know, I I think that would be it for us. Uh I don't oh. think the country could have survived another 4 years. Uh uh of going in this direction and I that uh, I'm not just talking about the foreign threat I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about the kinds of values we have as a society you know um, um, the old America the America that I know that I grew up with is being lost to us it's not being taught at the universities you know it still isn't being even after Trump wins um, our our younger generation is being brainwashed uh, I'm h- much more hopeful that we can turn these things around, both at the national security level and at the threat that we that we face from domestic enemies of freedom, and that's what they are. We we are we are actually such a divided society that this isn't the loyal opposition we're talking about anymore, in my view. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, these people are are actually, you know. High Fundamental to fundamentals of the Constitution and to what makes us a free people, they're hostile to people that have our values and probably the values of most much of your of your uh, of your listening audience. Uh, I think that that opportunity would have been lost, but I'm not I'm not as hopeful and optimistic as most people are. However, I, I would add uh, I mean most people are walking on air about this. I'm. Mm-hmm. I think we've been given a second chance, but we haven't won yet, and um, we've still got a long way to go to get out of the woods. As I was saying before, I mean, even if Trump does everything right, we need our enemies to make a mistake, you know, we need them to, we need them to make a mistake, we need them to give us time to recover, you know, and to rebuild our military. Uh, they've, uh, you know, we've unfortunately Obama has put us in a situation where we've are on, a, on order for us to come out of this. We've got to hope that the other side doesn't play a perfect game. They've got to make this strategic miscalculation, if and let us come back.
1: I, I like the, I like that analysis that you gave because I think it's right on the money um, with, with respect to our enemies. The time, the reprieve that we supposedly have. And it's not going to happen overnight. So, uh, very well said. Um, one last question. That's really kind of again. It's and, and forgive me for um, the, if uh, you don't really have to answer this, but I'm just curious as to your thoughts. Being in the CIA, uh, what are your thoughts with respect to the Hillary Clinton? Leakage, the emails, all of this. Uh, I, I guess ultimately, what I'm what I'm trying to determine here is I've read a lot of books, one by uh, uh, Mr. Klein uh, about the, uh, the theft of or the national secrets that that were that were released by the email debacle. Um, f- from your perspective as a CIA analyst, if you if you've kept up on this, were was the, was America harmed by her carelessness with the server?
0: I have written an article about this uh, in, know you um, in Newsmax <laughs> called uh, "Did Hillary Leak Ultra Secrets?" Yep, and she in fact did. I, I think we, I think, I think even Hillary critics have missed how fundamental the harm was that she did. Okay, the harm that she did goes beyond the classified, and to be sure, the kinds of classified information that she was leaking was enough to send her to jail. I mean, if she wasn't a special protected member of the aristocracy and she was just a normal CIA analyst, she would be in jail for, for what was leaked. But what she did was much worse than that. The um, You know, in World War II, one of the reasons we won World War II was that we were able to break, you know, the Nazi codes on their on their cipher machine okay Mm -hmm. and we so we were able to tell what hitler and his general staff were thinking all right and these were called the ultra secrets they were because they were the most important secrets that you have are not necessarily how a tank is designed or or how a satellite works That's the stuff that was classified that Hillary leaked. But there's other things that she that were disclosed that shouldn't have been disclosed that were even more important, you know, and that is how the President of the United States thinks and how Hillary, our Secretary of State, thinks and what their sensitive and what their advisors. What did they think about the Russian invasion of Crimea? Was it worth going to war to stop that or not? What did they think about the Syrians crossing the red line? Was that worth going to war or not? These guys were able to read her mail, all right? I mean, I think the reason, one of the reasons they've been able to win... All this time is the same reason we won World War II because Hillary has been leaking our ultra secrets, how our national command authorities think. It makes an enormous difference when you can have confidence that you can move this chess piece because you know how the other guy is going to react for sure. Okay, because you're reading his mail. Deterrence completely fails when that uncertainty is removed and you know what the other guy is thinking and what his game plan is. And that is even worse. Than the actual classified, the stuff that's formally classified by the intelligence community, her personal, her thoughts about these matters, Obama's thoughts about these matters, the advisors that surround them and their thoughts about these matters, is intelligence, those are the crown jewel to intelligence. Those were our ultra secrets. She was giving up our ultra secrets for years when she was Secretary of State, you know, which is the after the president that's the most important cabinet position in the United States of America that's
1: right yep and and, and the reason i asked that question i am familiar with the article you wrote on July 8th of 2016, Did Hillary Reveal Ultra Secrets? I think that article by itself, uh, Dr. Pry was one of the most uh, insightful articles because that gave an entirely new direction and complexion to the email issue. And that really struck at the heart, especially you being a CIA analyst, uh, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, within the CIA and uh, your position there. Understanding what happened, so I want to thank you for that and thank you for all of the information that you've given us tonight we're at the end of the program uh, I, again thank you for for appearing with us and thank you for your gift of time you're very gracious and uh,
0: well thank you uh, for, thank you for giving me a forum here oh. and for being so well read and, and, and the stuff that i've uh, I've written and I want to thank you and your audience because all of you, by coming to understand these issues better, become part of the solution. You all, you are part of the solution by providing a forum for the discussion of these ideas, and everybody listening here, just by becoming a little better educated on it, has now become a part of the solution. And that's what's necessary for all of, for all of us to get through this this and come out into broad uplit fields, as Churchill would say. And they are there. They are there. Let us hope we reach them.
1: Indeed, Doctor Pride, thank you so very much. God bless you. Please stay safe, and uh, we'll we, let's stay in touch. And uh, uh, we'll be directing people to your writings, and of course to your books. And uh, again, thank you for your gift of time. God bless.
0: Thank you so much for having me. All right, sir. Have a great night.
1: Wow, folks, that was Doctor uh, Doctor Peter Vincent Pry. W- what a fantastic source of information, Joe. He he really just hit it out of the park. And Yeah, I mean, we covered the whole range of topics from natural uh,
3: disaster, EMP-related incidents, and the history of that, to the terroristic and and, um, uh, war, the threat of war, uh, EMP. And it is, you know, one of the the statistics that shocked me about this category is that how nine out of ten people would die within one year after an EMP. And that's uh, very troubling to think about. But he said it at the very beginning of the interview. Our Western world is so dependent on electricity. Um, without it, I mean, what can we do? We have, you know, machines that crop our food. We'd be watching TV our in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watching TV in the dark. Watching that black screen. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, a – and to think, you know, when we were, we talked about being at that EMP convention, that it's been so long since that time. It's been about 10 years since we were there at least. And, uh, nothing's changed. Nothing's happened. Nothing's been fixed. And, you know, we give. He mentioned the example of two billion dollars a year just to Pakistan, which is how much it would take to harden the infrastructure in order not to um, have the EMP threat on the United States. But they haven't. They haven't acted, and that's just mind-boggling. But,
1: but see, the thing is, and he said it. We can all make the difference. You know, it's not all gloom and doom. We have that. That. We have the ability to be the salt and the light to make the difference to go out there and say, look, we need to get, get our act together. Let's do it. Let's do it now. And that's why it's so important that we all must remain. I, you know, Joe, I believe this and Dave Hodges was talking about this the other night. We have to stick together and we do stick together as talk show hosts, as, as people. Um, and you know what? We are all in this together, aren't we? Oh, hey, stay tuned to the Hagman Report and our Twitter social networking feed for information. Anything does happen this weekend, we're going to be on the spot, running on the spot. No, nope. don't forget to tune in to Dave
3: Hodges, The Common Sense Show. That's right. Sunday, 8 p.m. That's right. Uh, as each and every Sunday, one, either my dad or me or both are on with Dave Hodges. And Could be uh, Eric, the tech this time. I want to thank, yeah, Eric, Jackie, J.D., John,
1: John, thank you so much for all, all the hard work this out. week. Yeah. And JD, too. Yeah.
3: We got a great uh, week in, in the tank now, and we got a great week ahead of us next week. So make sure you, you check into this. My dad said Hagman and Hagman.com, HagmanReport.com. HagmanReport. We'll be keeping you updated uh, throughout the weekend, and we're starting off strong next week. Good night,
1: everyone.